Hello. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been a long week. Yes. I agree. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of those... It was one of those weeks where you just got lots of very fun users at work. I got two really awesome calls today. Oh. So one was... And I'm just gonna, like, script this for you. Guy calls in. Yeah, um... So I have an iPhone, and my keyboard isn't making any noise, and, you know, nothing's making any noise except for when I play music and my alarms go off. And I was just like, okay, well, do you see the little switch above, you know, the the button, the volume buttons on the side? Um, and he's like, yeah. And he, I said, is it red? He's like, yeah. All right, switch it so it's not red. Oh my gosh, it works! <laughs> Oh ow, dear God! Ow! ow, ow. <laughs> <sighs> wow. And then the I got another user who called in at the end of the day and asked how how do they shut down the big button at the top? <laughs> no, Just it's say. it's it's like it 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 start shut like there's a thing that says shut down, but they're so used to just logging off because that's what it says. Oh my goodness! I have really I have a really fun job. Wow. I, I, I think if our, our positions were reversed, I might kill someone. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have to deal with surgeons who, you know, whose instruments don't work because um, they dropped it. Oh, that's always fun. And it's just, my device isn't working. Yeah, because it took a faceplant off a table. <laughs> um, so I've, I've gotten really good at... Um, Saying dumbass dropped the thing mm-hmm. in very politically correct, audit friendly in your records for for our records. The unit exhibited damage most consistent <laughs> with a sharp impact, consistent with a three foot fall. Uh, that sounds like a lot like my job and our tickets for all our users. It's just like because you're trying to paint the user in the nicest way possible, but exactly. everybody who's in the field who's reading these things is just like is able to read between the lines. Just like exactly. It's like, what actually happened on this ticket? Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I know about um, the key words that one uses instead of dumbass. <laughs> you use the term customer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Bob's not answering. I'm going to try him one more time. Death Roll, how was your week? I finished my watching of Castle. Yay! That's my next week project. That's probably what I will be doing while I clean this pigsty tomorrow. Hooray, cleaning. (laughs) It needs it. Our excuse for cleaning was to have company come over that we were forced to. Yeah. And I'm quite proud of us that the living room and dining room still look presentable. Nice! The trick is to keep them a certain way once we get them clean. Yeah, the trick is to never be home or never be able to, like, spend time in those rooms. Yeah. Let's see. What else? Oh, I've been putting together my not-Legos for Stargate. I saw those. Those are exciting. They are exciting. I have toys. Uh, They're 
quite fun. They're not toys. They're action fi- figures and collectibles. <laughs> no, I think these are definitely toys. <laughs> if you say so. Uh, well, having put them together, I don't think there will ever be cause to take them apart. Mm-hmm. So far, I have two Death Gliders, one F-302, a Jaffa Patrol of five Serpent Guards, uh, the entirety of SG-1, three generic human officers, a pyramid, a sarcophagus, an Anubis statue, mm-hmm. and the gate. Shiny. The gate is cool. The gate sounds cool. <laughs> The problem with the gate is the death glider can't go through it. What? I know. How lame is that? Death glider couldn't go through it anyway. You needed that special ship. Oh, that's true. Still, we don't have that special ship. No. It would be very cool if we did. You could make one out of the other ones. Maybe. Take one and and convert it. But the gate isn't big enough regardless. Well, fine. It's lame. Don't be imaginative. And the, tr- and the term for that ship that you're looking for is needle threader. No, that's the move. No. Of it's, threading the needle. Yeah. Really? It's called the needle threader. It was never given a name. It's called the needle threader. Well, who gave it that name? They're not allowed to name things anymore. <laughs> Probably Rodney. Or Ford. Ford. Or Ford. No, Ford just went, went along with it. It wasn't really that... No, Ford. no. Ford is the first one who wasn't allowed to name anything. That's true. Ford tries to name things, and they say, hey, didn't we decide you're not allowed to name things? No, he's not. It's okay. Gate ship one. Well, well, it just slays me that that's what the ancients called them. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I... <laughs> Tells you all you need to know about them right there. Yep. No imagination. No imagination. But I like they... that. I like the fact that they're not what... They're not cool. Yeah, they're not cool like we imagine that, you know. They were the gate builders, but they're still kind of squares. They all, oh, they're total squares. So much fun. Mm hmm. Well, shall we get this underway here? Yeah, I messaged Bob and told him to to tell me when he's ready for, for podcasting, but. Okay, sounds good. Welcome back to the Puffo Exchange. I'm Deathroll. I'm Kat. I'm Catherine. We are here tonight to discuss a James Cameron movie. And no, it's not Titanic. No, we would not be discussing Titanic. <laughs> be a heck of an exchange because neither Catherine nor I have actually seen it. Nor do we have intentions of seeing it. I watched it once and that was about the only like romantic movie that I've ever seen and, and been like, okay, I saw it once. We're done. <laughs> the rest of them are just like, really? Really? They wasted four hours of my life on that? Uh, unfortunately, Catherine feels I wasted three hours of her life on this. I'm sorry. It's true. But there are nuclear things, and apparently this season of Pufo Exchange are all things nuclear. (laughs) It's true. It seems like it. We like nuclear things on the Pufo Exchange. (laughs) 
Uh, Starship Troopers, Stargate, whatever. Somehow they have a nuclear weapon. I, I love it. I love it. it. It's, you know, with Ryan, it was Gilmore Girls, and sometimes Farscape was thrown in there, but generally, like, very frou-frou kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky TV shows and films, and we're like, no, we want to talk about nuclear weapons and explosions <laughs> and sci-fi. Somehow it's just working out that way. Yeah. It's... It's funny how things can happen sometimes. One time I was homesick and I was just watching movies and I made the mistake of watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves back to back with Dances with Wolves and suddenly there's Kevin Costner's ass in my face two movies in a row and I, the first one I was like, oh, I'd forgotten this one was in here. Second time, ah, I'd forgotten that was in there. Ah. Uh, I mean, kind of uh, wish I was home for that. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily the ass part, but definitely um, the freaking out. That, that That's yeah. kind of amusing. My only thing about Titanic is it's a romantic film, which I did not like about that, but there are at least explosions, so, you know. A little something. But then at least, the, I mean, the sad part is that everybody who's poor dies, so <laughs> all the rich people live, and it's just like, oh, well, that's depressing, like... <laughs> I can't comment. Yes. I haven't seen it, like, at all. Well, I mean, you know about the historical event, right? Yeah. That's the plot of Titanic. I know. That's one of the reasons I objected to going to see it. I knew that the boat sank, so half of it <laughs> spoiled for me right there. Uh, all right, but we're not here to talk about James Cameron's Titanic. We are no. here to talk about James Cameron's The Abyss, which is far better, in my opinion. This we'll is take a, your word on that one. <laughs> fun movie. It's your typical summer action blockbuster. No, uh, it wasn't a block. It, it, I object to it being called an action film for the amount of nothing that took place. That's not an action film. It's not an action film. It's no. very cerebral. <laughs> Thank you. But I not still liked film. it. You know, uh, you know, it, it's not objectionable. It's just don't call it an action film. No, it's not. I would not say it's an action film. I would say it's very much presented as an adventure film. Like you know how they they kind of group action and adventure together. Like I would say it's more of an adventure film, but then like they give you a little bit of a sci-fi twist to it that you're not expecting. So that's what <laughs> I would say. You're going on an adventure with these people, and there turns out to be aliens. Okay, I can buy that. I'm glad. Keep in mind that we uh, we did also watch the special edition with, like, 23 minutes of footage put back in. So it did sort of stretch things out. That's the better version. Oh, that was the better one. It actually tanked in theaters because they did not include... Well, I mean, I, I don't know how much... There was probably more in the DVD than was in the DVD that or the VHS that was released that did really really well but in theaters they didn't include a lot of the explanation of what was going on topside so audiences really didn't like it that much because they were confused <laughs> about sure. what was going on and they changed it uh, and it did tons better so yeah, okay at least they, they learned something yes I guess <laughs> well, one of the know. things that we thought was really really funny is it seems to be a motif that the oil rig guys are the ones you turn to to save the planet yeah it's it's 
funny. <laughs> it had a, a lot of tones of Armageddon in here. At least at the, uh, you know, initially. Mm-hmm. I just like, I like the oil rig team, like, as characters. A unit, like, I, yeah. I, yeah it, it was very much this, and I could buy it because, like, oil rig teams like this are underwater for months at a time. And all they see is each other. So, you know, whether you like them or hate them, you are super close with these people. And I liked right. how everyone, like, I, I personally, one of my favorite characters is One Night. And I love her, like, little cowboy hats and, you know, the ways that you can see everybody's specific characters. Hippie with his mouse. Yeah. Very weird kinds of, of things. But... You know, they're still, like, this very weird unit that when it's threatened by SEALs, they kind of band together and aren't fighting anymore, like you see in the beginning scenes. Yeah. No, I I, I don't think, you know, in the beginning, I wouldn't necessarily call that fighting so much as camaraderie. Oh, it's bickering. It's like a, it, it, exactly. It's a family that has no choice but to associate with each other for long periods of time with no personal space so mm-hmm. it's a, it's a coping mechanism you raz each other yep and you raz back yeah. <laughs> so i i liked the the genuineness of of at least the um the ship crew mm-hmm. I, I i liked the the genuineness of those characters i liked when they were all singing together yeah it's kind of yeah. cool that was definitely you know I, I, again it was a genuine moment what are they gonna do that's what they're gonna do yeah, whether you love or hate the song, you're gonna sing. Mm-hmm. Because you get the just the the tone of these beginning setup scenes of this this boat, for lack of a better term, is that this is what always happens. This is like an average day. Like they're always gonna be playing country songs when they're moving, and they're always gonna be doing this and this, and these two people are always gonna be bickering and. It, it it's just this is the average day and then this is what happens when the average day is interrupted and this by... is what happens when hilarity ensues <laughs> now I've got to say I really don't think I had ever seen the beginning before I don't remember where I first saw this I think it was actually on VHS but I don't really remember the opening setup of this. I didn't even, you know, formally realize that this was a bunch of civilians here on this rig. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, when I'd first seen the movie, I was so young, you know, not fully comprehending anything. And I must have seen the beginning, but I don't remember ever watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was kind of interesting to play because with our Stargate coverage, we're so often on the side of the military and seeing it from their point of view, kind of looking at civilians as, oh, you silly creatures. And now we're kind of on the other side of the, that of, of it's the military that are in foreign lands and we're just saying, oh, you silly people. Like, you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of interesting that we're getting the same point, with well, very different points of view, but the same attitude. I wouldn't say they're exactly civilians, because they do have a pretty hardcore job. Like, Oh, yeah, definitely. Most, most civilians aren't able to go into a deep-sea oil rig and drill for... I mean, I personally would go nuts after a couple of weeks if I was down there all that time. Probably. Yeah. It. Uh, well, I mean, at least there's a nice 
place to step out if you need to get away from it all for a while. Yeah. It's not like you're up in space. This is true. (laughs) Now I'm reminded of Captain Sheridan being told to, or when he tells people he's going to go have a walk outside. (laughs) (laughs) And he's told the way forward on the big fork of the station looking off into nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. The abyss of space, if you will. The abyss of space. Ooh. Ooh. I thought this this setup was kind of interesting that this nuclear submarine, which, you know, we don't want to mess with the nuclear submarine. If something goes wrong with the nuclear submarine, we've got issues. Goes missing. And we know what happens, but nobody else knows what happens. I'm not sure I'd say we know what happens is a fair uh, description. We kind of know what happens, sort of, maybe. Something, something, we know that it went, it, it crashed. So we, we know shit went down, okay. We, we know shit went down. All they know is it's MIA. Like, a, they know a new, where it is, yeah. but that, that, that's the extent. No, they know the last communication. They don't know what happened. Like, the Russians could have this submarine, right. for all they know. Which is why, like, they're reacting so severely, because something very, very bad could have happened. Right. The sub blowing up is the best case scenario here. In this case, yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's really funny. So it's in this, like, deep water, underwater canyon that no one can get to, no diver can get to. We learn later that there is a way that a diver can get there, but we'll get to that. And they go and recruit this company that has a deep-sea oil rig to go get it. Because then they can send the SEALs down to the oil rig and the SEAL team can assist with finding the the submarine and figuring out what to do with it. And then we get to see, you know, then, then we meet the oil rig team and how they get to their interactions. And um, eventually the SEAL team which we are very briefly introduced to, not really at all, until they go down there. And a woman who, they call her, what, an iron bitch? Cast iron bitch. Cast iron bitch, who is the designer of the oil rig. And she's one of those, you know, I wear the pants because this is this is my boat and I designed it and therefore, you know, you're not moving without me coming with. Because you're gonna mm. you're gonna wreck it. <laughs> well, you know she knows that something weird is gonna happen, and if shit goes down, she knows the rig. You know, not only yeah. does she have the uh, you know a lot of um, you know personal investment mm-hmm. in this, but she's the best qualified to troubleshoot anything. Yes. So for that reason alone, she's a, a, a tremendous asset in this mission. I think that's they she, don't know what's going to happen. I think that's what she sold to them. I think the real reason that she's going down is because she doesn't trust the seals with her baby. Essentially, oh no, absolutely. <laughs> nor would, nor should she. For that no, matter. she should not t- trust the seals with her baby, and and it kind of bites her in the ass later that she, you know, even trusted them a little bit with her baby because it completely screw the pooch on on her baby (laughs) they kill her baby (laughs) yeah they do a fairly good job of it yes they do (laughs) 
What I thought was interesting is as they're going down, the concept of high-pressure nervous syndrome, HPNS, is is introduced that basically if you are down deep enough some you know one in 20 people will go batshit crazy that immediately tells you someone's gonna go batshit start counting how many people do we have do we have 20 (laughs) well you know it's at that point that you start putting bets down and you know i gotta say because the guy with the mustache with them was the most defensive about the issue you're like and he's going nuts it's a it's a very classic kind of a story of, of like of course this is gonna happen it's it's very kind of formulaic which is fine i mean when it's well acted that's fine but it is a very formulaic t- uh, story that and i think that the the fact the way it was executed was very cliche. Oh, yeah, it's totally cliche. Because, you know, I, I have no idea what's going on with this movie, but they talk about people going crazy, and the guy who's all defensive about it, it's like, and he's the one who's gonna go crazy. Mm-hmm. It's the way this stuff works. There's so I, much else going on here that they don't want to confuse you. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Yes. Oh, okay. You're supposed to be thinking cerebrally. Oh, uh, see, I was just waiting for the nukes to go off. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I uh, do like how how... Instantly, the high-pressure nervous syndrome sets on because immediately the guy with the mustache, also known as Lieutenant Coffee, has hand tremors, and that's the first symptom. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I know some pretty tough military men. Just because you're a tough military man does not mean you don't have a brain. Like, are you seriously so stubborn that you are willing to put your life and everyone else's life in danger just because you can't handle? You know, you are one in twenty. You're a statistic, and you're you know putting everybody in danger because you're trying to act tough. Now, let me ask oh, a question: no, the, Is the way that I explained that one? Is it's another symptom of being batshit. You don't think you're batshit. That's so, true. You know, that part I bought for for good, bad, well, or indifferent. Well, well once once the, it sets in, yes, I totally get that. But the hand tremor, like the second the hand tremor, you could see it in his face. He knew he had it. My question is: Is this a condition where it always affects you, or is it not predictable? It's apparently the way I felt that they were putting it on was it's not predictable it's it's okay because this guy is a navy seal right i'm sure he's gone down before so the first time this would be affecting him i i felt that maybe could have been explained a little better Mm -hmm. i felt the way i was given the impression that they were so far down that most people have never been down this far before in this in the water and so True. if they were Navy SEALs and maybe they've been in shallower water and they've just never experienced, you know, mm-hmm. they've gone down deep, not to the ocean floor, not though, that, you know, e- even to those depths, you know, this this was an extreme case. And so even though he may not have had symptoms and previous dives, this was an extreme case. So I think anyone's previous history wouldn't be an indication just because this was so extreme. And I think they could have done a better job at showing how deep the rig was 
because in the movie we go down even deeper than that right so it's you know it's you know here's deep and this is gonna be like the sea level for the entire movie and then here's deeper and the deeper is the really scary part i think one of the things that really frustrated me is during that scene where where they're saying you know one in 20 goes crazy so we gotta watch out for each other throughout the entire you know that arc of of this guy going crazy no one his other two guys the other seals did nothing oh they but they they knew it they just didn't want to cross their commanding officer i i mean i could you kind know, of but, buy but, it because the, you know the whole chain of command and you don't question the chain of command kind you know of thing. I, I i understand that you don't you go with the chain of command but you also know that if someone is not mentally fit, they don't give that order, right. especially when it's, you know, hit the big red button, World War Three, big red button. And I, I just I was so disillusioned by the inaction of the other Navy SEALs. They don't. You know, to be a Navy SEAL, you're not just some fresh recruit. Mm-hmm. You are a highly trained, decorated, intelligent, sm- and smart, intelligent man. You 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 know this stuff, and part of what makes you a Navy SEAL is your intuition, your sense of honor. And an honorable person would have said. Sir, my commanding officer, sir, you are not fit. You either step aside, give me your sidearm, or I will have it forcibly removed from you and we'll get the duct tape and you get to sit in time out. I love and, the way you said that. <laughs> and just the fact that the other Navy SEALs were pussies. I mean, I wouldn't call them pussies. So, I, would, I would call I, them... <laughs> Let's not call the you know servicemen pussies. What I would, what I think of, and I, I guess I've seen this movie so many times that I just kind of accept it as the characterization, and I move on. But I feel like they replaced Navy SEALs with like the stereotypical jarhead. And just put right. them in that, that situation. Just, you know, and, and, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the SEALs and a tremendous amount of respect for Jarheads, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But just the... They were grunts. Was, they were military grunts. Yeah, and it was just so unrealistic that it just threw me and made me mad. And, and you know, I couldn't get over that to enjoy the movie. I can understand that. I mean, it, it, they weren't really SEALs, and I guess... I can see that complaint and I can understand that complaint. I just love other aspects of this movie, like the relationship between Bud and Lindsay so much that I kind of just pass over this and say, okay, they're just being very stereotypical, like just jarheads. And and this happens in the movie sometimes and they get, I mean, it's, it's kind of like I get very upset when they have, you know, nerds be very stereotypical in the films and it's just like nerds don't look like that, nerds don't act like that, we actually have some degree of social skills. We might not be the strongest at it, but we have some, de- we are not the point dexter with the coke bottle glasses and the pocket protector anymore. So I can no. understand. Do you know how hard it is to find a pocket protector these days? Not as hard as you'd think. I used to sell them at work. Well, and it also doesn't help that most shirts don't have the front best breast pocket anymore. Right? It's it's right. So it, it, it's kind of um, 
Anyway, but going back to Bud and Lindsay, what I liked that dynamic between them, I found it very reminiscent to another movie that I truly enjoy, Twister. Oh, I love Twister. Exactly. But it's the same type of thing, only the roles are reversed. But it's still the, we're almost divorced or not quite divorced or getting a divorce or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this particular thing on this big job that we used to be together on brings us together for this epic, epic event and we rekindle our love. And, you know, it's cliche, it's hokey, but... It is cute. I mean, I didn't find it that, that hokey. I, I, I like, if you look at the, there are very small hints to what their relationship was. Mm-hmm. And to what I've pieced together in my viewings of this is the, the way I view this is that Bud and Lindsay were kind of like, okay, we're two people of the opposite sex. We tolerate each other. And we're on this big project together. If you get married, then you get a suite. And otherwise, you get a closet, a bunk. So let's just get married, you know, for kicks. Because then we can always get divorced again after. And then they fell in love. Through through the marriage, they fell in love after they got married. Mm -hmm. And then once the project was over, they both kind of thought, oh, well, we have to move on because we're one person living at the bottom of the ocean, the other person's moving on with their lives. And they thought they were being very, very hyper-rational about it. Mm. And it was this event that kind of reminded them that they loved each other. Because you, you notice, Bud keeps trying to throw away his wedding ring, but he just can't. He threw it away once. In this movie. In this movie, he threw it away once, which was... I, I am so glad they were faithful to this one scene through the rest of the movie. It made me so happy. He throws his ring into a chemical toilet. Yep. Thinks twice about it. <laughs> and he knows exactly what is involved in his next action and does it anyway and reaches in up to the elbow, fishes it out... And his arm is blue for the rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was I great. Love, I love the fact that for the rest of the movie, and you know that they, you know, they shot this over the course of, you know, months, but they were so faithful to the idea of that he got his wedding band out of the chemical toilet that his hand was blue the re- you know rest of the shooting okay get the blue dye for his hand wake up <laughs> and i i and this is the the reason why i feel like this is not the first time that this has happened is because catfish the guy with the really big beard kind of looks at his arm and goes your hand is blue just like it's not it's no big deal like he's seen it before it's gonna happen again. Like, yeah, your hand is blue. <laughs> I know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> Went that route again, eh? Yes. <laughs> Thought you learned last Tuesday. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 what it was. Catfish's line and the way that the actor delivered it that made <laughs> me think that like this might have not been the first time that this has happened. Because it would, there would have been questions if if this has been the first time and his his arm is blue, right. out of the blue. Yeah, out of the blue. I'm just imagining a line from Clerks. <laughs> Why do you smell like shoe polish? It smells like shoe polish. What smells like shoe polish? 
<laughs> so the seals lead a very reluctant group of rig members to the deeper part of the ocean off this huge ridge in the middle of the ocean to where the sub is so they can search for survivors which is very searching the sub is very sad <laughs> it's like the saddest part of the movie <laughs> yeah it really is Oh, I had flashes of any documentary you've seen on Pearl Harbor and the survival mm-hmm. the Arizona, and mm-hmm. it's just just oh, it gets to you. Yeah, it's... when you when you think about what those men could have gone through, and you know the lucky ones are the ones who died on impact. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, just like with Arizona, it just has to break your heart when you think that these people know they're gonna die. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time and they know that and and oh breaks your heart. That that was um that was a little traumatic. Yeah, it was it was and luckily they don't dwell too long on it. Like they only show a, a couple bodies, which is kind of nice. I think they handled it appropriately. Yeah. That they they acknowledged what happened and I forget who said it. It was probably one of the seals. We can't help them now. Mhm. Let's take care of the rest of our mission. There may be air pockets elsewhere. Right. And, you know, that's as good as you can do under the circumstances right there. But I definitely like even, you know, a big, you know, this big tough guy like Jammer can't handle it eventually and just doesn't want to go on. Of course, this is a very cliche plot point. You're leaving the guy behind. You're keeping the camera on the guy. You know something's going to happen to the guy. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, as soon as the rope started to fray, you're like, and I'm surprised he lived. Got it. You know, when you when you, you start any If the alien where... were hostile, he would have. Fortunately, it, the yes. alien is not hostile. Exactly. If this was a slasher or that kind of movie. Or alien. Um, or alien. Ex- exactly. You know, you just know that you start putting money on people and it's like, and he's wearing a red shirt <laughs> underneath his scuba gear. <laughs> so I was honestly surprised that he survived and I definitely enjoyed the fact that not only did he survive but he had a little hero moment yeah <laughs> which was was just definitely cool and I really like the thing kind of explaining what happened to him is when he saw that bright light of the alien investigating what was going on he thought he was gone or he thought that was an angel thought that was you know that white light was him going to heaven, the pearly gates, and that was it. And so his reaction of going into a coma as soon as he said what his last moments of consciousness were Mm -hmm. like are so believable. Yeah. Well, yes, if I genuinely thought that I was going to heaven, yeah, the the body would shut down (laughs) like that. So, yeah, I I appreciated the the genuineness of his little little moments. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely, it, it's kind of interesting because you see him start to panic when throw up phrase, which, you know, you're in at least a mile of water. <laughs> and, you know, like, that would be terrifying for anyone. Like, you're in a nuclear submarine that has crashed and no one knows why, but it did. And there are dead people everywhere. Well, I don't think it's the fact that they're a mile underwater because this is a guy who makes his living a mile this underwater. But but you don't know. He doesn't know where he's like how how to get back out, and he's only got a certain amount of air left. And oh I mean, yeah, it starts to build, and you can see the panic setting. And then there's this light, definitely, and he definitely. like starts to like oh what is like it's 
kind of very calm and like focused because there's something to focus on. And then, I mean, what would you do if something like that suddenly appeared? I, you know, after all that buildup of of you know seeing dead people, I see dead people, and being in a very strange, very scary, potentially dangerous situation. Uh, yeah. If I saw a white light and something really pretty, I'd said, "Yep, I must be in heaven. I'm dead." <laughs> I, I, it's a very natural reaction. I would probably freak out a little. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things. Out, you know, a little freak out. But you know, you just. <laughs> I think I would honestly resign myself to, huh? So I just died. <laughs> well then, um, where do I get my 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 you know white white gown fitted? Um, Halo fitting is in aisle what? Yeah. Instead of a liar, could I have a loot? <laughs> um. But I love so I, one one little note. So often in these sci-fi things where they like panic and they they screw up their oxygen, they no longer have oxygen. I love the little note that he is he's getting too much oxygen in his mixture. That was nice. Nice touch. I loved it. Which probably only adds to the euphoria and the mental state of, um, huh, so this must be heaven. Oh, oh totally. But it's just, it's one of those things of, of, that was something, so there are a lot of, there are a lot of stereotypes and a lot of cliches in this film, but there are a lot of points where they did things that are not at all stereotypical for films like this. Mm. And... I think the reason why I love them is the things that aren't stereotypical are things that we kind of scan over because that's it, it's always going to be that way. It's, I mean, when, when somebody hits their oxygen tank and they're in, you know, either a situation where they're going to space or they're going in deep water, they're going to lose oxygen and they're going to be brain dead. Right. And to have it be the complete inverse, it's kind of like, and not to bring this back to Harry Potter, but I have to because I live there. <laughs> because we can't manage to get through a single discussion without somehow bringing it up. But in fan fiction, in, in, it all comes full circle. <laughs> in reading fan fiction, it's kind of like having that moment of you writing or reading something that no one else has thought of before. It's kind of, you have to stop and say, huh. That's kind of cool. I like that. And then you continue. And it's those little moments that I like about this movie. So Jammer freaks the hell out and gets too much... And hit, hits his oxygen rig and, and starts getting too much alcohol. Oh, no, alcohol. <laughs> That's what I've been consuming. <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> and um, he has a seizure. And... They have to, and then he go, you know, tells, and then they get him back to the rig, and he tells them what he saw, and then he goes into a coma. I so, don't think he tells him what he saw. No, he so, did. Yeah, till later. He gets, he gets, he, by the time he gets back to the, the, the rig, mm -hmm. he's already out. Yeah, he's out for most of the movie. And for the most of the movie until he has his hero moment, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, all the while, so <laughs> this is another thing of like, if things couldn't get worse, so you've got, you know, a Navy SEAL who's about to flip his gourd, you have a rig that's on the edge of this huge shelf that's, you know, bound to happen, so, something's bound to happen with that. Oh, yeah. On top of that, there is a hurricane coming. Well, of course. 
<laughs> because <laughs> what else is going to happen? <laughs> uh, this is a disaster movie. It has to, you know. So could have the Russian Navy show up. This is true. That's the hunt for Red October, and that's another good movie. And I will live in Montana, and I will marry a round American woman and raise rabbits, and she will cook them for me. And I will have a pickup truck. Or, um, possibly even a recreational vehicle. And drive from state to state. Do they let you do that? Yes. No papers? No papers. State to state. So, you know, they they get Jammer back, he's in a coma, and then Coffee and his team get the bright idea that, well, the Russians are coming, so we need nukes. I like it. (laughs) They needed them so badly, why didn't they just bring one? I don't understand why they had to make, like, a separate trip. Like... Well, so what was their plan? Their plan was to go get one of the warheads, prime it for detonation, and then aim it at the 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 Russians. Russians, And then what? Dare the Russians to come in after them? Red Rover, Red Rover, send Russians (laughs) right over. (laughs) (laughs) Red. (laughs) That's why I was. That's why I was giggling. I just like the idea of, you know... <laughs> red Rover, Red Rover, and Russia right over. <laughs> that was that, and that, my, ladies and gentlemen, was what the Cold War was all about. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> A triple dog dare gone wrong. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, the seal, like, the... the the seals under Coffee's command, because Coffee's flipped his gourd and he's being an idiot right now, have gone well, to go I get. At this point, he is still operating under orders. Yes, he stupid is. Stupid orders. Stupid, stupid orders, but still operating under orders. I he don't... just doesn't have the better judgment to maybe rethink those orders. But also at this point, they are still in communication with. The surface. What did what did Lindsay call um, the sub? What was it? Armageddon in a bag, oh. or something like that. In a can, Armageddon in a can. That sounds right. I liked that. I was just like, you know, there are like twenty six warheads in here. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Armageddon. I mean, in that a was can. The, the epitome of 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 the Cold War. Yeah. It was Armageddon. At a moment's notice. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction. Mm-hmm. Dumbasses. And so, one thing... So, they can't move the rig without the mini-sub. And the mini-sub is gone because the the SEALs are acting under orders. And this is this is where the people topside are being idiots. Because you're going to have the SEALs take a separate trip, which is going to take time, to get a warhead when there's a hurricane over overhead and you have to move the rig before the hurricane hits. It's not even that they need to move the rig. They need to disconnect the cable that that runs between the two. Yes. They can be autonomous for a while, but they need to disconnect. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. you know, they have this giant anchor between so, yeah. them. And if the ship moves with the hurricane, then the rig is going to move with the, the cord. And it's just mm-hmm. it's not a good idea. Like, <laughs> And of course... As we find out. As we find out. And... 
Um, this is actually one of the best parts of the movie because so you know you see the cord stretching and it's stretching and you know it's going to topple something. Oh, and- you know it's and you know it's going to be bad. <laughs> the way they've set it up, you know it's going to be terrible. And so you're expecting. As this is happening, and you see the cable and the top of the crane come down and falling onto the ground right in front of the bridge of this rig, you just are thinking to yourself, oh dear God, the top of the crane is going to crash into a critical portion of the rig. Right. (laughs) That they needed to, like, access to escape. Oh, you know, something absolutely critical like that. So the engines... So they get, you know, the the movie does get credit for um, surprising everyone and the top of the crane, which could do the most damage, lands on top of the pile of cable, kind of in front of the rig. Right in front of the rifts. Right at the edge of the the canyon. Canyon. And for a second, you think everything is going to be okay. And then it just very slowly, like, starts to careen over, and then you're just going, and I've given up swearing for Lent, so pardon my French. You're going, oh shit. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just one of those moments I'm like, no. When a china vase is, like, teetering over the edge of a shelf. And you're just like reaching for it, like no. In slow motion. How <laughs> as as the the crew watches this happen, they're seeing it in that slow motion disbelief. <laughs> Even though there's absolutely nothing they can do, they, they just <laughs> we dodged one bullet to be you know shot in the knee with the next one. Yeah. And and this is a bad shoot in the knee right here. Oh, well, that's why it's the knee as opposed to, you know, some fleshy part, like... <laughs> Just a flesh wound. I don't know. I feel like in some ways, if the top of the crane hit the rig, things would be better than, like, okay, let's pull the, the rig over the edge of the canyon. Right, you know, having to seal off a compartment or two. Well, they just did that, or are about to do that. Um, about to do that. They can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so. But it's, it's like, you know, everyone's bracing for impact. So, like, if the cr- crane crashed, maybe a couple people die. Seven people died. Yeah. I mean, it's... It, <laughs> that whole... As the cable's coming down, I had minor oral surgery on Monday. And even though my face and the area they were working in was completely novocaine out, I had no feeling. You know, mm-hmm. I could feel some pressure. But other than that, you know, I felt nothing. And you, Mary, right where your head is, before the Big Bang, there was nothing there. And outside, where that squirrel is, there was nothing! And under your chairs, nothing! And by that tree, where that dog is, nothing. During the 40-minute procedure, I found, you know, my hands and my my legs and my arms clenching. Mm -hmm. I'm not in pain. I have the utmost confidence in the doctor and her assistant in what they're doing. I'm just clinching. Yeah. And clinching and clinching. Oh, drop the probe and step away from my ass. 
take a deep breath and just go with the flow. Oh, no, 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 no flow, no flow. Don't want the flow, don't need the flow. <laughs> Mr. Wake, I feel you clenching. Now, no clenching. So when it's over, I'm walking out to the lobby to to meet Deathrill, and I'm shaking and, you know, unsure of my footing. Not because of anything that a physician just did, but because I inflicted this mm-hmm. this stress, this tension on my own self. And you almost see that in the crew, just this, I have finally exhaled after 20 minutes of absolute uncertainty Mm -hmm. and you can see that almost wobble that they've been clenching you know muscles and and all this and all of a sudden they can breathe no they can't no (laughs) no 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 no. just kidding (laughs) trick trick (laughs) oh man Six people die because there's massive damage and flood. I mean, you know, it's fallen, you know, maybe hundreds of feet. Like, there's massive damage everywhere. Half the rig isn't even any good anymore. The SEAL team has officially ruined Lindsay's baby. (laughs) (sighs) Stupid, stupid, stupid. If they'd waited another 15 minutes... Or, you know, had he even consulted? Yeah. You know, just... We want to go, you know, check... You know, even if they had lied and said, like, oh, we want to check this one thing, like, we're not sure if there's an engine loose or something, we want to make sure nothing blows up, and then the people would say, can you wait 20 minutes while we deal with the umbilical thing and the cord and, you know... The umbilicus, I think it, it's it's called, and you know, and then they'd be like, yeah, it's an umbilical cord, and they'd be like, yeah, that's fine, we can wait twenty minutes, and then they wait twenty minutes, and no one's dead, and no one drowns, which was that was like more devastating than oh, looking through the sob. Oh my gosh, because Bud was absolutely helpless to save his family. Oh, and those that other was guys. heartbreaking, and and the fact that these people know the people who are dying. Mm-hmm. It's just like ah, I can't watch. It's not some guy that died. No, no, it's your brother. It's the guy you were singing country music with five minutes ago. Right. Well, more like four hours ago. But but so, right. It's, but, it's, you know. It seemed like five minutes ago because you sing country music every day. It's the guy who has a really awful voice that you never want to hear again. But now that you can't really want to. But now that he's you know gone, you're gonna miss that awful awful voice. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, it was horribly sad. <laughs> of course, because there are six station people dead, six of the, their family are dead, and the SEALs are largely unhurt, the station crew is really pissed at the SEALs now. <laughs> well, they should be. It's their fault. Totally awkward situation. You're now... I mean, if it had been, you know, equally unfortunate, but if it had been the crew's mistake that had led to this you know tragic yes but the rage level would be far less but no no someone did something someone else did something stupid and we paid for it right that that's some uh, understandable rage yeah very 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 understandable yeah i i I think i would be pissed too Mm mm-hmm and coffee has gone into full-on um, white coats and padded rooms crazy. <laughs> yes. And yes. elsewhere, they're trying to... They're, so 
Lindsay, during all this, saw one of the aliens. And they're not calling them aliens, which I thought was also very interesting. They're calling them NTIs, non-terrestrial intelligences. Yes. Which is kind of new and exciting because normally it's just like, oh, they're aliens. Well, I think they understand, they, they respect the fact that here they are. They're at the bottom of the ocean. Everyone expects the uh, aliens, extraterrestrials, want terrestrial land to make a landfall, you know, somewhere in Roswell. But, you know, they're here at the bottom of the ocean. And so I think because it is a bunch of nerds that are down there, they respect the fact that maybe it's extraterrestrials, the Martians coming in, or maybe it is just a bunch of people who are from Earth, Earthlings that happen to evolve completely differently and separately, or maybe, you know, they're kind of like the ancients from Stargate and they came here beforehand and they just decided to live at the bottom of the ocean for some reason. We have no idea what these things are. Yes. We don't know if they're alien or natives or what. So I respect the fact that they admit, whoa, we have no idea where they came from. They could have been here first. <laughs> and that's a very that's a very interesting kind of thought. Well, I think it's realistic yes. to the fact that on some level, many of the people who are on that rig are there for the adventure of it yeah. and are also there for the science of it and, you know, new frontiers. And so they're oil workers and, you know, no, not all of them are going to have PhDs know not all of them are going to have any college degree. You know, they're hardworking guys with their high school diploma. Good for them. But they're smart. And they also, I, I, I find it, it's the fact that the, the movie is kind of pointing out that we don't know, as the human race, we don't know what's down there. No. No, we have no idea. And... In this way, like, two races can live on the same planet, you know, one not knowing anything about the other. Right. Right. And I, I love the fact that they're acknowledging this, which is really cool. Which is kind of, because the stereotypical alien movie is like a very much invasion kind of a, like, they're coming to Earth and they hate us and they're going to kill us all and, you or know. stereotypical first contact. Right. And it's, but they're coming from out there. Is, right, is so from in here. Right, and and this the abyss is very much about an alien movie that's about they're already here. They've been living here for God knows how long. Right, we, you know they might predate us. We don't know, and you know, frankly, who's gonna care because they live in like ten thousand feet of water. No one's gonna go down to ten thousand feet of water. It is an no alien. One can go down there. Yeah. <laughs> Separated by physics. <laughs> You're so cute, honey. <laughs> Thank you. Have I ever told you that you are very cute from Imbari? <laughs> oh, and you are cute too, in an annoying sort of way. <laughs> Everybody's cute. <laughs> Everybody's cute. <laughs> Even me. <laughs> but in purple, I'm stunning. And I like the way that they communicate. So they're crippled. They can't move. They don't know what to do next. They're trying to figure out what to do next. And a seawater snake comes out of the diving pool <laughs> and goes exploring. 
which was really cool. <laughs> best scene of the movie. And Certainly the best special effect. Oh, such a cool... Sp- really cool. For 1989, such a special effect. <laughs> Definitely cool. Lindsay postulates that these aliens, whatever they are, must be able to control salt water because they're able, you know, it can move like this snake and it's like this tentacle that's kind of exploring and it sees the nuke and it sees, you know, all this stuff and it encounters the people and it's able to mimic Lindsay's face and then it mimics Bud's face and Lindsay puts her finger in it and tastes this. <laughs> and Which I love- everyone's going, ew! <laughs> well, one night actually says, like, no, you're not gonna, like, Lindsay, you don't know where that's been! Because <laughs> that's what everyone else is thinking, like, what? Oh, oh, just the dirty images. What did you actually stick your finger in? Exactly. Just... Um, it looks like water, but maybe it's not. It's possible. How do we know that water is water? G- yeah. <laughs> you just got just... way too deep. <laughs> Sorry. Like, man. <laughs> deep. <laughs> Thank you. Uh... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my husband. So, coffee, of course, is now, you know, as I said, coffee is white. Oh, God, the Russians are here! <laughs> the Russians have figured out how to deal with water and, and, and quick arm the nuke! Yes, because we need to defend ourselves against water. Yes, because clearly people with the technology to manipulate water like that are going to be afraid of a little nuclear warhead. Yeah. Let's clearly. This is the utmost sign that you know he's gone absolutely crazy. He's white coats and padded room. Nuts. (laughs) Yes. Because he didn't see that closing the door means that you win. No, no, no. We have to arm the nuclear weapon. (laughs) Exactly. That's a little bit of an escalation there. (laughs) Maybe disproportionate. Uh, The fact that someone who can control water when you're underwater could sneeze and crush you? No. No, let's not piss them off. I mean, I would be freaking out at this point, but I wouldn't be like, let's launch a counterattack against these people. No! What just blows my mind is he refuses to accept that it's anything other than the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of my mom grew up in the era. The end of the era. I would laugh my ass. (laughs) No, my mother did not grow up in Russia. My mother grew up in you know the end of this this era where they you know thought that hiding underneath their desks in school were going to you know keep them defended from nuclear weapons, and you know. They would actually do drills and stuff. And it, so it reminded me of the stories she would tell of they would have drills where they would hide under their desks because that's going to help. You mean it won't? No, it's not going to help. <laughs> they told me in school all I had to do was duck and cover. 
<laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> Not at all. Damn. <laughs> well, there goes my science project. Well, <laughs> and I guess you can reschedule the weekly drill then. If it doesn't do any good, there's no sense in us continuing to practice. So, I mean, it, it's this whole... And I kind of understand that m- mindset of the crazy of the Russians have this technology, plus the Russians have nukes, we have to do try as hard as we can to get the Russians before the Russians get us. I guess if you're so ingrained and brainwashed into that thought process, I guess a preemptive strike makes sense. Yeah. Because it's the only tactical option you have. If you can't outgun them, please, dear God, let us surprise the hell out of them. Yeah, let's, let's you know, it's it's the it's his hairy, uh, hairy male. <laughs> Hail Mary Pass. Right. It's he he's Nothing. crossing fingers and toes and hoping that, you know, launching the nuke works. It's he's not thinking that it's gonna work. In fact, launching the nuke would be a very bad idea. But But it's all he got. It's all he has because all he ha- he's he's on a science rig that drills for oil and he has a nuclear weapon. That's it. Well, I mean, it's kind of up there with why do you see people throwing rocks at tanks? Because that's all they got are rocks. Yep. Poor coffee. He attended one too many propaganda classes. (laughs) Uh, Would you like to know more? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all night. Did you guys, I, I, I think I shared it with Death Row, but Catherine, did you see, it was the picture of, in Russia, the meteorite going overhead, and then the bottom panel is Neil Patrick Harris, and it says, would you like to know more? That's awesome. And I was just like, yay! <laughs> Only like 5% of nerds got that reference, but yay! For us five, woo! Hooray for us. <laughs> Cheering children. Yay. And hey, everybody on Pufo knows because they've all listened to the podcast where we cover Starship <laughs> Troopers. Yeah. It's really cool. <laughs> hey, we did a solid five minutes on Would You Like to Know More and how awesome it is. So they best be knowing about Would You Like to Know More. Exactly. Well, there's plenty of occasions when I would like to know more. Yes. And they don't tell me. Lame. There are many times that I would not like to know more, and they just keep on sharing. In fact, I would like to know less. Is that (laughs) possible? Wouldn't that be an awesome option on the TV? Like, would you like to know less? (laughs) Yes. Deleted. So on a a completely logistical side note, I got to admit, I'm really enjoying podcasting from a laptop. Yeah? Because of sound echoes, Deathrill and I cannot podcast from the same room. So We We would have to work up two headsets and one microphone. It's just very cumbersome, and we're we're not quite there yet. So we're in opposite ends of the house. I normally am on my computer in the living room. Unfortunately, that's where the birds, Faraday, and Curie are. So as much as I enjoy having them on the podcast every now and again, it can get a little annoying. Faraday annoying? No. No, no, no. Not with hair gel. No. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I'm working remotely over here in the um, other room, one of the other bedrooms of the house, and just had to pick up my laptop 
headset attached, walk into the living room, grab my power cord, walk back, keep podcasting, plug myself in, and I'm ready to go. Very nice. Woohoo! <laughs> and I will have you know, Kat, I am making very, very good use of the Christmas present you sent us in that it is keeping the bottle of white wine that I have um, made a remarkable dent in over the evening um, <laughs> nicely chilled. Very nice. I actually I um, was... The, the cork sickle here. It, it is... It is um... Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I actually thought about getting that for you for your wedding, but I thought it was too gutsy because, you know, it, it wasn't on your list, and I know you needed money for the driveway and the rehab, and I thought I'd just give you cash for the... For rehab? For... <laughs> huh? The bathroom. <laughs> Refurb, okay. Refurb. Like, what did people not tell me about death roll? <laughs> I think they're talking about you. You're mentioning having the bottle of wine. Okay, that, that might be true. Um, <laughs> no, it's only when I podcast, I promise. Uh, <laughs> Who do you podcast with that's not me? <laughs> <laughs> Refurb, I'm sorry, I'm very tired tonight. I don't need alcohol, I just need exhaustion, and then I'm just fun, Funny. as has been established. I am more fun when I have had no sleep. No, but, but, but yes, the, the but refurb. Your gift is quite thoughtful and very meaningful and shows that you know us maybe a little too well. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's wonderful. Hey, you know, I got you guys the corksicle. I got Ryan the world's best cat mom mug. I mean, I know what I know. (laughs) That is very sweet. It's very sweet. <laughs> Hilarious. Very sweet. I, 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 you know, I love the fact that Ryan is enjoying his world's best cat, cat ma- mom mug because I was not sure how he was going to take it because we call him a cat mom all the time. But, you know, it's it's something different from like a verbal thing to something that you would like take to the office. <laughs> No, I could definitely see myself taking that to the office. And when I take my tea into a meeting, having to explain to some of my coworkers before we got down to business why I am the world's best cat dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, but he is a cat mom. Like, seriously, he is a cat mom. He is. And it's hysterical, like all the pictures that with the title, (laughs) and all the pictures that he shares on Facebook, and I'm just like, you are the world's best cat mom. I'm just gonna say that, and and then I was just like, I wonder if there's a coffee mug. Of course, there's a coffee mug. And then I found it. I'm just like, that's Ryan's (laughs) gift. (laughs) End of song. (laughs) That's awesome. That's definitely awesome. The uh, uh, seal coffee has gone off his rocker. Think the Russians have water manipulation technology? Arms the nuke. Yay! Like that's- Wait, no, it wasn't a segue at all. Um- <laughs> hey, instead of instead of cat mom coffee, we have crazy coffee. <gasps> Brilliant! You're a genius, cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what I know. But anyway, so so crazy, crazy coffee, not cat mom coffee, but crazy coffee is um is is kind of lost it a little more, and he thinks that since you know the Russians have water technology, that we need to you know nuke everyone. And 
starting with our guys. Oh my gosh! In the in the middle of the ocean, you are the only ones for miles. You are going to Armanuk. Makes perfect sense. And then you are going to go into one of the ROVs to go launch the the nuke, without thinking somebody's going to try and stop you because it's a nuke. No, no, they're not going to stop me. They're going to help me carry this thing because I'm a fracking genius. (laughs) Exactly. Well, he decides on his own that they're going to stage three. Yeah. And it's at this point that I get so frustrated with the movie, with the plot, with the direction it's going, because it is clear to the other surviving Navy SEALs that their commanding officer has gone gone batshit. Jumped a twig. Yeah. They know exactly what's going on. He is absolutely beyond a reasonable doubt, mentally impaired, and should be relieved of duty. They know what's... The fact that they do not remove him from command, I cannot get over. And and it just, just... Again, again, it's the, just, just so the, unrealistic. I I can't get over it. It's just just so frustrating. I know, I know, you know. But so but you know, because the civilians, it, I think, I think it really is. It's because the civilians are supposed to be the heroes. Granted, granted, but it's still it's stupid. But you know, it's stupid. And I think I would forgive the movie if they had brought it up and say, "Sir, you know, they kind of do. They say we don't have contact." with the surface anymore you're going off of you know you're doing this without orders they stop short of saying stop your nuts and the fact that they didn't go that far and you know for the sake of the movie i understand the fact that the guy had to go nuts and had to go off the deep end and do what he later did too off the the deep end (laughs) but the fact that his men, the other Navy SEALs, didn't try to relieve him of duty. And this is why people write fan fiction. Exactly! Is there um, fan fiction for this movie? Um, let me double check. I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> people are sick. Uh, oh god, we've opened up a can of worms. But I would have felt better and more at ease if they had brought it up, tried to, you know, relieve their commanding officer of command, and had been swayed otherwise. And, you know... The, Here are I, my completely logical reasons for wanting to arm the nuke. You know, either do that, or, you know, the guy shoots one of them, or, you know, there are just a number of ways that they could have been realistic about their commanding officer being unfit for duty, and they didn't take any of those avenues, and it would have cost them 30 seconds of movie and made me happy. I think that's a 30-second investment well spent, but they decided not to. Yes. Because, <laughs> let's face it, Star Trek, I think Star Trek is very ready to relieve officers of duty when alien presence is mm-hmm. apparent on the brain. You know, like, you're unfit for duty, back to your quarters! Yeah, well, I mean, again, Stargate is one of the first Hollywood-produced TVs or, or movies that the armed forces as a whole has said this is an actual accurate portrayal of what life is like when you're in the armed forces. People are removed to duty and people, you know, have to deal with chain of command and all this stuff and there's there's no messing around when you're in the same chain of command. And I, I mean, they have been praised for this. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there are so many movies and TV shows like The Abyss that just pan off the Marines or the Air Force or any of the armed forces as stereotypical idiots who just take orders and don't question them. You know, I've seen too many good examples of Hollywood doing it right. And I'm too close to the military myself to suspend that part of reality for the sake of the fantasy of the movie. Mm -hmm. I readily suspend reality for movies. That's right. why I enjoy them. That's how you enjoy them. But this was was too much for me to swallow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just way too much. Oh, I'm still mad about and, it. And for the record, there are two... Uh, <laughs> Abyss fan fictions on fanfiction.net. I am sure there are more out there. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, there's fan fiction on, and one of them is is rated M, so I would not read that. Oh one. no. <laughs> Who are the characters? Go ahead. Shock us even more. So, the rated M fan fiction, it, the, let me just read the. Uh, summary. They said that the world is full of mysteries, and we've only scratched the surface of this world. Well, humanity has no idea how right they are. Mostly T, but M for later chapters. This story has nothing to do with the abyss. This is a fanfic for ha Hammerhead Shark Frenzy. Thank you. <laughs> what? <laughs> has nothing to do with the abyss. But it's in the abyss. So they took the setting and that's all. Never mind. <laughs> this is an excuse to write water creature porn. Water. Isn't it? <laughs> Probably. Okay. You know, so long as we're honest about the situation. Yeah. Sure. You know, it's all good in the hood. Something like that. Yeah, it's all bad. It's not all good. It's all bad. Hey, some stuff, some of this stuff is good. No, no, no. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, fine. Whatever. It can't be good. It's all horrible. Oh, you and your tastes. But anyway. Me and my standards. What, what Standard? So what are those? For fan fiction? I like his standards. Yeah. I laugh in the face of standards. <laughs> uh. All right. Anyway, ba back to the plot. <laughs> Laughingly be called the plot. Hey, now. I like this plot. <laughs> um, Don't hurt the plot's feelings. Can I just have a note? Actually, where are so, we in where, this plot? Um, so Lindsay and Bud are going after Coffee. Coffee has, and I love the names that Hippie <laughs> has named the ROVs, the remote operated vehicles. There's Big Geek, and there's Little Geek, which is the is so. <laughs> Little geek. Little geek is so cute. Super cute. <laughs> and he's he's like Vicky is is kind of cute. Give credit where credit's due. Yeah, but I mean hippie. So hippie is painted these. And I feel like big geek and little geek are like hippie's babies in the same way that the rig is Lindsay's baby. Yes. No, I get the feeling his mouse is his baby. That's true. Well, he has three children: his rat, big geek, little geek. Yes. In that order. Yes. Maybe. The geeks could be transferred, but definitely the rat is is number oh. one baby. Oh, yes. Well, the rat never leaves his side. Well, his shoulder, but, well, with one exception. Yes. In the movie. Yes. But I think we'll cover that plot point when we cover what happens next. Yes. 
Bum, bum, bum. So Lindsay and Bud, of course, have to go after them because they are the heroes of this plot line, and we cannot have the seals going after the seal because that would be boring. Right, because we haven't spent enough time with them to know them. Yes. But I would like to point out before that coffee has gone crazy and locks the rigs crew the non-seal members into the cafeteria i enjoy the gratuitous coke product placement on the vending machine and so the other two seals one of them is wounded in charge of guarding the door you know if it moves shoot them kill them and coffee's definitely gone crazy this is where the guy who was in the coma who saw the angels thought he was dead and had resigned himself to this has his hero moment yes so they're panicking they're like oh my god what's gonna happen we can't let him deliver the nuke to this race you know this first contact situation we can't let this happen and coma boy wakes up you know they're they're panicking in the cafeteria and the next thing you see is the door opening and they're like oh god is this the seals coming in to kill us no no he woke up from the coma had taken care of the guarding seals because you know he snuck up from behind apparently the infirmary the cafeteria and the bridge of this rig are all connected and he snuck up and he has his hero moment and he explains what happened to him while they were on the nuclear sub he has his moment of glory, which is, is totally awesome. He's also a big guy. Like, he's this is a, a big, big guy. guy. <laughs> right. So I definitely appreciated the fact that this character who, you know, had this moment in the beginning of the movie, and at this point, you'd almost forgotten about, almost, comes back and saves the day. Yeah. Well, saves the moment, because coffee's still out there with a nuke, but... You know, that that was definitely cool. This is also another kind of hint towards these aren't real SEALs. These aren't, they're not trying to make them real military guys. Because even with, you know, Jammer is his name. Jammer's a big guy. Even with a big guy, a Navy SEAL could take him down. Thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things of like, they are the dumb idiot jocks. Yes. And they're the, they're the fun nerds. Like, it's it's Revenge of the Nerds grown-up style. Yeah, if, if this were set in high school, this would be the football team. Yeah, it, it, it's the football team versus the chess club. It's Lambda 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 versus Alpha Beta. Exactly. It's smart versus dumb. It's not an accurate portrayal of either, because these are blue-collar workers, and not all of them are, you know, as you said, PhD candidates. They're not not book smart, but they're they're street smart, street smart, and they they went to trade school. Yes, exactly. I don't even want to say they're street smart, but they're task specific geniuses. Yeah, it's but I mean, <laughs> they just have narrowly defined tasks, right? And it's just I, what I'm saying with this is I can't even take the seal. I don't take the seals seriously because it's like mm. you know they're facing off with the football team. And one of the football team, you know, the captain of the football team went crazy. Yeah. And that's it. That's, I mean, you can't take it like it's their actual, you know, military people. Because if you take it that seriously, then it's not going to work. And I took it that seriously, which is why it didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, Big Geek is armed with a nuke, headed for the Russians. 
because Russians. Coffee's no, nuts. He's not headed for the Russians. He's headed for it's the aliens. sub. Yeah, which will blow up two miles of you know, the entire ocean. So let's no, just blow everything he's up. Headed for the for the for the sub. He, he's headed down the trench to make an explosive first contact. Yes. That's right. That's right. Because they had initially programmed him mm-hmm. to go down and when he senses light, turn on the camera and Coffee had taken that initial programming, tweaked it, added the nuke so when Big Geek senses something in the area, detonate the bomb instead of turning on the camera. Yep. They Although chase after it him. makes me wonder, given the power absorbing capabilities of the aliens, would the nuke still go off? Well, so this, this is, is the actually, question that we raised in the third space discussion. This is actually my question about these aliens. So you see the glimpse of the aliens, and they kind of look like, like the Roswell Greys. But I wonder, since they have all this power of like projection and water, you know, manipulation. Do they even exist in this form, or is it some kind of manipulation to make our brains process what we're seeing? That's too deep. <laughs> uh, there are deep parts of this movie. So, like, is is that real? Is the big question. Am I making your brain hurt? A little bit. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> You wonder, are they like the ancients, and this is the form that they have chosen? Yeah, kind of, yeah. No. Can't process. (laughs) Uh, It's Friday night. (laughs) Did I mention I was drinking wine that has been properly chilled with the corksicle that you gave us? Um. Yes, you have. (laughs) How much have you drunk in? Um... A lot. Is it the same ratio as the famous Bad Fic podcast of 2010? I am not aware of what that ratio is, so I cannot judge. I drank um, an entire bottle of wine. Death Roll drank the liter and a half of wine. I had a large bottle. This is a, a small bottle, and um, I probably have a glass and a half. Two glasses left. So yeah, so, it's, it's, you know, on that scale. Oh, yeah. you. Yay. <laughs> and I'm on pain meds, so it's great. Wow. I won't say I'm on pain meds, but it, they've been in my system recently. Yeah. Uh, again, with the surgery on number seven. You know, I've I'm been sorry. taking it on and off, and the the tasty, tasty buffalo chicken sandwich I had at lunch today was probably a bit too much for, oh. you know, the biting it off for it. Even though I cut it up. Um, so it, it's kind of grumpy at me right now, and I took good drugs when I got back from lunch. That's good. Yeah, so it's it's not, you know, heavily affecting me, but it's still residually in the system, and I'm adding alcohol to it. Good choices over here at Puffa. <laughs> all right. Because yes. so, Puffa is all about good life choices. Yes. So Bud and Lindsay are in this chase to, you know, hunt down, stop the nukes, yay. Well, Bud's gone out there in just the suit. He's gotten all his gear on, and he's diving in after the... Right, and with Little Geek, which is the little 
powered thing that you can get divers use with the fan, and that yeah, makes me happy. I like the I like little geek. I've always wanted to use one of those little geeks that plus a camera. Yeah, maybe some a, instrumentation. Yeah, but. I have a dream of like getting little geek and getting to like be in like a really big pool. And just, like, getting to be around, like, just go around. Okay, I need to stop because I'm just getting really excited. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of not having to, ha- just, like, holding on and letting it, like, take you on a cool adventure. No, and, I definitely like, love that. That's so, I, it's so awesome. All right. Um, but, so, <laughs> they managed to, you know, stop coffee, and coffee dies. Oh, I loved that. That was just fantastic stuff because when you're underwater or you're in space the loss of hull integrity is the scariest thing yes and they showed it it was awesome but you see coffee's little submersible going over the edge and not having the power to climb its way back up Mm -hmm. and you see it falling and you see and you just know the scientists who watch this just know like that's bad that's bad if it can't climb up again from that depth you're He's dead. Yeah, exactly. You got trouble <laughs> in a bad way. Right, right. But I love the fact that you see Coffee, even though he is not right in the head, you see him realize his predicament, mm-hmm. especially as the windshield windshield cracks, cracks. Oh, and man. Then cracks more and then cracks more. And the last thing you see is hull integrity breaching and him going you know that um, look that everyone makes when hull integrity is breached Uh, or when they're about to die impaled by something very sharp exactly exactly you see that on his face and a little piece of you is like good (laughs) but he deserved the motherfucker can I say that on this podcast yeah we're explicit Fuck, 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 fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I really want to, like, if if not for the language, I would love to have that as part of our intro. Oh, God. Oh, man. All right. So, Lindsay and Coffee is dead, which that is a little, only a little sad and mostly like, yay, the nuka stopped. But it's not. But it's not. But, like, there's a, there's a respite. But Bud and Lindsay. Respite. Big fancy word. (laughs) Hey, I'm sober. Why? (laughs) Because I'm still living with my parents. And there's one beer in the house. Problem. Yes. See, we have a problem in that the um, wine cellar from the wedding is almost depleted. Not Uh-oh. completely depleted, but almost. <laughs> the fact that you only have one beer in the house is just a travesty. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, so... Not to worry, we have a wine tasting tomorrow night. Oh, goody. <laughs> I'm super excited. It's going to be fun. To go find something we like and get a case of it. Yay. Or two. And it's a fundraiser for the chorus I'm in, so... Oh, nice. I just spent oodles of money on a fundraiser, and that was last week. And we need to talk about that, but we can do that later. Once we've finished with this. Awesome. If so, you just on waiting. Do you want me to talk to you about it in the middle of the podcast? 
<laughs> it came up in the course of conversation. So, um, as Catherine, you know, I went to that black tie event on Friday, right? And that's why we didn't podcast. I'm sorry. Once again. Okay. So death Roll knows, but I don't, I don't think, you know, I went to, I, I'm pretty sure I told her. Okay. I went to a black tie event on Friday. I saw the pictures. You looked gorgeous. Thank you. That was actually not the entire dress. I um, have pictures of the entire dress, including my ta- tattoo showed with the um, the dress. And see, sexy, sexy. The ballroom. Um, so it's the ra- it was the Radisson Blue, um, the Atlantic Ballroom. And locals from Chicago, who I doubt are listening to this, um, know that's a big deal. It's right on the water, on the lake. Cool. And it's super, super fancy. And I had, like, four drinks and everyone... So this is the thing about my church. People really like to drink. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) My, my, My congregation loves to drink. So much so that they stopped serving alcohol during dinner at during um right before dessert and it had like a there was a forty five minute wait before the bar opened and people complained. <laughs> <laughs> like we are a church that likes to keep the alcohol flowing when it's a celebration. So cool. I was like the mo- one of the more sober people at night that night and I had four drinks. So the band was awesome. I, I knew that you had gone out. I didn't realize it was for church. Yes, That's this is for church. Awesome. <laughs> um, this is the big. So the way our church works, our church is huge, and we're we do have more um, wealthy members, people who are yes. kind of more well off, because we are our church is on Michigan Avenue, um, yep. and we have a separate corporation. That is a charity that runs through our church, and we, you know, that's how I, we run our Sunday night suppers, that's how we run our tutoring program. We have an urban farm that we teach kids from inner city, more impoverished situations, how to eat healthy and how to grow their own food. Um, there are lots, there are tons of programs that we use, and this is the big fundraiser for that. So That's awesome. There are lots of don- lots of donations come in, and you know, uh, one of my friends, um, like uh, we got Tim Tebow's jersey because one of my friends works for Tim Tebow's charity, and she like I stayed over at her, pl- her place, and like his cell phone number was on his her fridge. And I was wow. like, <laughs> yeah, see, she know like she knows Tim Tebow, um, which was kind of like. A, a humbling moment so that I know people like that. That's really cool. But it was, you know, it was an awesome. It's black tie mostly, so everyone yeah, yeah. like came out total dapper. Um, there were kilts involved because Presbyterians are Scottish. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. We have bagpipes on high holy days. There were ba- there were kilts at this at this thing. I would expect no less from you guys. And the band was super awesome. They did a really nice mix of top 40 and, like, classic. Um, I think we did Footloose from the, like, a bunch of 80s stuff. Um, and, and then we moved to, like, top 40s and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun, the band was. The highlight of the night was, so I'm a youth leader, <laughs> And the kids were, the high schoolers were there. 
um, helping out. They were volunteering, and then they got to dance. They didn't get dinner, but they got to, like, dance at, at the end of the night and stay up really late. And um, at the at the very end, after the last hurrah and everything, my boss, the youth minister, came up to me and said, You are beautiful, and Jesus loves you. <laughs> and I was just like... Thanks. <laughs> wow. And his his hair was like really messed up and and you know, it was clear that he was like past the point of no return. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was probably it made one of the top 10 moments of my life of like my boss, you know, for this Christian church. I mean, another moment of my life that was really pretty awesome was a couple of years ago. Um, the senior pastor at my church, who is from um, Glasgow, bought me a Guinness. Nice. So, like, it, this is the kind of church we like our alcohol. So that was it. Was it was a, it was such an awesome night. I can't wait to go next year. That's uh, awesome. I, I mean, it's the event. It's the event of the year, and everyone goes and lets our hair down and gets jiggy with it. <laughs> That's cool, though. I yeah. love it. At, at the end of the podcast, I'll uh, I'll send you guys a copy of um, the full length dress. It's it was all the way down to the floor. Very cool. And everyone, I look forward to it. Everyone was really shocked because I often go to church in jeans because I'm a youth leader. Right, <laughs> and I can. No. I frequently go to church in jeans because by that point in the week, I don't have any more slacks. Right, all my work pants are in the laundry, so I, also, yeah. I can either go naked. Or I can wear jeans. I also get up at five thirty in the morning to go to church for choir, so I'm not really in the mood to dress in anything else but what I'm super comfortable in that early. Exactly. So, and let's face it: if you're wearing a robe over it, who cares? Yeah. Um, when I sang in my church's choir more often, because I'm kind of short and a soprano, when we sing up on the steps in front of the church, I'm frequently in the front row and so anyone who could see my feet would see the baggy jeans underneath my robe and ratty tennis shoes underneath mm-hmm. <laughs> which just uh, I love how our congregation very much has the mentality of come as you are yeah you know no 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 stuffy pretenses come as you are you know if you feel you need to wear a three-piece suit to take communion. Cool. That's fine. That's great. That's between you and God. If we you're actually comfortable, have had some people show up in the three-piece suit. Yeah. But if you and God are cool with you taking communion in jeans and a t-shirt, cool. We're so glad you and God have that relationship. <laughs> There are people, I mean, so we have three, we have four services. Oh, I have a huge church. There are like 6,000 members of this church. Like, so holy the, cow. Yeah. There's an 8 a.m., which is where I sing. And yeah. then the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock, the choir members are actually paid to sing because they're like professional, like, singers who sing with, you know, national, nationally, you know, known symphony orchestras and choirs and all this nonsense. Especially being in Chicago, you have, like, 
the we have the Lyric perf- Opera, we have the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, we have tons exactly. of stuff going on. So exactly. crazy awesome. Like I have sung with these people, and I'm just going like my voice sucks. <laughs> Singing next to you because why? Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I I can relate. I can relate. Yeah. Uh, crazy. So- um, yeah. So, but there, and then there's a four o'clock, which is a jazz service. I love my church. We have a jazz service. We're just that awesome. Um, and the eleven o'clock is the more formal service, and people will come out, come in like fur coats. I believe it. Yeah, absolutely believe it. Especially the older generation of our church. They definitely always a suit and tie. They look immaculate so and. Exactly. And they really epitomize that. And I I love them for that. And I especially love them because, you know, they'll sit right next to someone like me who comes in jeans and a clean shirt because that's what I'm wearing today. And no secret backstabbing, no thinking ill. It's like, hey, cool, you're here. That's awesome. So glad you made it. How's it going? Yeah, <laughs> largely, largely it's, it's like that at my church. The only time I actually, there is a little bit of, and we're trying to knock this out, there is a little bit of children shall be seen and not heard um, as that long, you know, part of the, part of the ch- church culture. And, you know, there are people who are kind of making moves away from that now. And I remember, I think it was, it was either last Palm Sunday or two Palm Sundays. I think it was last Palm Sunday. But we take the kids to Palm Sunday because we're trying to get them used to going to what we call big church or service. Yep. And them having to sit there for an hour or an hour and a half, depending. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, when they're 11 years old, they can't really contain themselves, so they, you know, will draw and listen, or they'll talk very quietly to each other. And Mm -hmm. there was a woman who was sitting between... I was... We were were in different rows, and there was a woman who was sitting between me and, and my kids that I was in charge of, and they weren't disturbing anyone. It wasn't during the service. They were talking, chatting very quietly to each other, and she yelled at them. And if it had not been in, like, the sanctuary, I would have slapped her. Because you don't mess with my kids. And it, it was one of those situations of, like, I know you're used to it being this way, but they're not disturbing you, so stop. Yeah. If, you're, hear, yeah. if you're that bothered by it, go move someplace else. Because there's a, this is a huge church. There are plenty of places to sit. Definitely. Definitely. And, yeah. and so, I mean, there's still a little bit of that. And I get really upset when people act on that thought process of there are certain times where you know children are allowed in church and then every other time they're not you know quiet enough right which my church's little kid population ebbs and flows and currently we're in a um time of not many little kids Mm -hmm. Uh, but i see a wave starting so um that'll change probably but this is not an announcement (laughs) of any sort hey i mean ryan ryan and danielle just two weeks ago had to make that announcement apparently that they were not pregnant so (laughs) (laughs) so for the record Death Roll and I are are not pregnant. More importantly, I am not pregnant, although I would be flabbergasted if Death Roll was pregnant and I wasn't part of it. Um, 
But, you know... Yes, yes. M-Preg, yes. <laughs> Somehow, sooner or later, all conversations come back to M-Preg. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the Covenant Church has always been very family-centric. Um, and I remember for the longest time, and it's only very, very recently when we didn't really have the kids for it, that, you know, there'd be the first part of the service, which was the announcements and, you know, a choral introit and some readings. And before we got down to the sermon, there'd be the children's message, a little, you know, two-minute children's Mm -hmm. sermon. And after that, the kids would go downstairs for junior church. Recently, there have been like two, four children of that age, so we haven't had the children's moment recently, but that might change as uh, demographics change. But it's always been, you know, at the beginning, we have clipboards with paper, blank paper and crayons at the the entryway of the, the sanctuary. Kids are going to be there scribbling and playing games and, and drawing pictures for the first 20 minutes, half hour of the service, no matter what. Yeah. And then they go elsewhere because it's a long time for a little kid to sit. It's, hard, it's a long time that. for an adult to sit that way. We just make ourselves because it's important. Yeah, we are better at self-control. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have better benches to sit on. A little more squishy. Oh, that and the posture setting of the pew is just... Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. But I mean, so, I mean, it, it, it was funny to me almost. So, like, at Christmas, there's, like, a whole separate... So there is a whole separate, quote-unquote, children and families service that is set aside. And I think it, we need it because we have that many people. We're a Michigan Avenue church, so it's, like, the place to be on Christmas Eve, whether mm. you practice or not. Everyone, like, we... We fill this this sanctuary to the point where there's overflow in other rooms. Wow. Um, cool. It's, it's completely nuts, and it's not my favorite thing about it. But, like, we have a separate children and families service. And I actually had gone to the pageant this year. And, you know, most churches have their quiet little pageants. Not so much my church. Our, it was it was chaos the entire no- time. Like children were crying, little kids who were up on stage acting saw their parents and ran up to that. Like it was complete chaos. <laughs> and, that sounds like every single Christmas pageant I have seen. <laughs> but I mean, there was so, there was such noise in the sanctuary, and it, it's such a weird mm. thing to like think of massive noise in the sanctuary. I was thinking this must have been what Christmas was actually like. Like, where, when did church get so proper? Like, when was this a thing? Right, right. <laughs> when is it like, okay, now we must reflect on ourselves and we're going to be super calm and, like, no, life is chaotic, therefore we should not try and shove it out. Like, just let it flow. Babies are crying. It's okay. It's all good. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> anyway, back to, and there's no segue because we're way off course. <laughs> Like, really? What? <laughs> but, Us? But Lindsay and Bud, who have no children and are getting a divorce, I, I, I ran it back. I ran it back somehow. Um, are stuck. Lindsay's ship has crashed. There's no way Lindsay's ship is going to get back to the rig. And Bud is the only one with a suit. And, and the rig is filling. On water. They are taking on water. So someone's going to die. 
And Lindsay first tries to, you know, be completely irrational and say, okay, you can, you can swim back to the rig and get a suit and then swing back, back here and we'll figure it out. And he, like, calculates it with her and, like, you'll be dead by then. Try something else. Time. And she's like, okay, here's the plan. I die. I drown. Yeah, the water is just a few degrees above freezing. <laughs> My organs will all shut down and you... Tow me back to the rig. I'll go into hibernation. <laughs> and, right. And and so so he some for some reason agrees to this. I guess because it's his only shot. What and, else were they gonna do? Right. So so he puts on the suit and he swims back to the rig and she drowns. And he's there holding her as she drowns. Yes. He doesn't abandon her to die alone in the rig. He stays with her as right. There is a sincere possibility that these are her last moments of life. He did not abandon her to die alone. And his emotions very raw here, just like mm-hmm. he I think it finally hits him that he, he loves her. It was a marriage of convenience, but he loves her. And so he's swimming back to the rig and he gets you know, on the comm and says, Lindsay's dead. We've got to, like, save her and get the emergency equipment out. So one thing that I did not understand in, in the least, like, she's freezing and they do nothing to warm up her body. They just, you know, have CPR and the, you know, the stimulators. Like, that. that's it. They don't try and do anything with the warming because that's going to work. Like, once your body's down to a certain degree, you, like, all the CPR in the world's not going to help until you're warmed up. I thought they had There's blankets There's that phrase in the autopsy world that you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Uh-huh. For that reason. So, yeah, that was kind of frustrating that they brought the warming packs. And, <laughs> and they, they didn't use them. them in the cooler right next to her. What? All they need to do is bring them, right? Uh, and that's the, that's the thing of, like, me being the criminal justice sci-fi, you know, person. Just like, yeah, it doesn't actually work until you actually warm the body up. Because it's actually quite interesting. People have survived deadly stab wounds because they were so cold that their blood flow slowed down enough that it didn't it wasn't like a huge it it didn't present as a huge stab wound so when they went and got help they were able to like fix the the stab wound before warming them up and they survived we were talking about bringing the heat pads and not using them and so forth and i'm just we applied the cortical electrodes but we're unable to get a neural reaction from the patient <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, I, d- I loved the scene. I thought it was some really, really raw emotion from Bud, which we've been getting a lot from him up to this point in the movie, especially as it regards Lindsay. And, and at I, this point, I think it was a little too emotive. He's being a little too emotive here. I didn't mind that. I think one of the things, maybe I was just, you know, seeing this wrong, but I thought when they were putting the the breather on her face, there was a gap, and so it wasn't being as effective, and that's they why... Didn't, she, they didn't do it right. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do it right. They needed the real human breather to force the air into her lungs, and it seemed like after he took over doing the CPR, you could see her chest rise and fall. Yeah, I think 
I don't know if they were thinking that deeply. The writers were thinking that deeply into the the script of that, or the actors were thinking that deeply. But you know, if they were, kudos to them because I was sitting there going, "This is not how you revive somebody. This is not how you revive something." Somebody. Um, First of all, you get off all their wet clothes because. Wet clothes are not, you know, cold wet clothes are not going to help the person warm up. In fact, it's no, going to... No, no, no. Why, why would that be a problem? No, it's fine. It's fine. Yes. No, no. What you need to do to warm a person up is is to get a blanket and then strip the person's cold clothes off and then strip your clothes off and then, like, you know, bundle up with them and then that'll warm them up. How scandalous. <laughs> what was the rating on this movie? <laughs> I don't know. No, like, really? I, I think it's PG-13. Okay, P- yeah. It's, they can't do that in a PG-13 no, film. No, no. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, they have, you know, really cool... I mean, they're they're dealing in freezing water. How do they not know how to apply warming packs? Like, seriously? No one's fallen into the dive pool before accidentally? No. <laughs> There was no slip and fall with a con- concussion involved ever. Like hilarity never in s- next to the pool ever. Yeah, it's 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 just kind of one Even of those, those things. training drills. You know, nothing, huh? Nope. But, nope. Yeah. You want to say that they've never had an incident because their training program is so good. But if their training program is so good... (laughs) Why were they such morons? (laughs) Exactly! (laughs) I don't know. I got nothing. But I did enjoy Bud just getting so frustrated and he just starts slapping her across the face. (laughs) And I've had CPR training. I don't remember that part of it. Well, neither is the, you know, when the, the when the doctor gets really frustrated in, you know, these medical drama, dramas, and I almost said dramas. Dramas. <laughs> yeah, the, the medical dramas where the physician gets so fed up and just starts slapping and... No, and they, they, they slam their the... fist on the, on the person's chest. I'm just like, that would probably break ribs and not help the situation. Like, I don't think that Actually, would... Actually... <laughs> If you're doing CPR correctly, you will probably break a rib. No, I I know that, but I'm saying <laughs> as far as like punch, punching the heart is not going to do anything. It actually will. Really? Um, yeah, because the whole point of compressions is not so much the breathing, but to get the heart going again. Is yeah. you're artificially getting the heart to contract and to pump blood around and to remind the heart, hey, remember that pumping thing you used to do? It'd be a great idea if you kept up with that, right? But punching the heart is gonna like, I yes. mean, yeah, okay. it will compress it and. Like That's very Catherine interesting. said, the whole point is to get the blood circulating. The breathing and the blowing into the lungs, that's designed to get the lungs working again. Yes. And also to keep, you know, yeah. oxygen in the blood while it's circulating artificially and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Didn't they recently update CPR guidelines to maximize compressions? You're not supposed to breathe for them anymore. Yeah, exactly. So because, it's all about- No, but that was because people were doing it wrong and they were breathing into their stomachs. And too many people were dying. 
Right. So, you know, it, it really emphasizes the fact that compressions are to keep the blood going. And, you know, again, the whole point of having the paddles is to remind the heart, hey, you should be pumping right now. And by doing the compressions, you can keep blood flowing a little bit artificially, but it's trying to remind the heart, hey, remember this beating thing mm-hmm. that kind of went like this? Why don't you start doing that again? That'd be great. <laughs> so Bud slaps Lindy across the face, and he, and thus she breathes her first breath, much like birth. And still she's in her wet clothes, but they at least give her a blanket. Yay. And they decide that, you know, the the remaining seals who have found their rationality give Bud the experimental dive suit with the liquid oxygen, uh, the oxygenated fluid. Right. Because no one else could possibly go. Right. The initial demonstration of the hyper with the rat with the, is, is the only time that rat leaves his shoulder. Yeah. And he's devastated. Oh my gosh, there's been this meme floating around Facebook that, you know, you kill a human being in a movie, you know, it happens, you know, whatever. You kill a dog, you... Oh my god! Yeah. It's the same thing with this rat. You're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh my god, this guy is psychotic, he's an axe murderer, what is he doing on this rig? He's gonna kill a poor innocent rat. Sure, fine, he might kill humans later on and more people are gonna die, but this rat, this poor innocent, cute, fuzzy, white, cuddly, snuggle muffin is gonna die at the hands of this sick bastard? What the hell? And it goes to illustrate this point, which for an hour and a half, it feels like you're waiting for, okay, you demonstrated this hyper-oxygenated liquid. Get to where this comes back to play into the plot. Chekhov's gun. You show it, you have to use it. Exactly. One of the not batshit crazy Navy SEALs is demonstrating some of the equipment that they first bring on board and says, oh yeah, it's hyperoxygenated liquid. The human body breathes liquid for nine months before birth and takes a little dish of this stuff and takes a um, basket, wire basket, and takes the rat off of this guy's shoulder, traps the rat under this liquid, and you know, the guy whose best friend this rat is, is totally freaking out justifiably yeah. as audiences at this point, I'm sure, as well as his co-worker. Like, what are you doing to this rat? It's the and it's out of the rig. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you see that the rat has this moment of panic that I can't breathe air anymore. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I have to physiologically... I'm going to inhale liquid, which I know is going to be lethal. It does that. It panics. And then it panics even more. Oh, my God, I'm not dead by breathing liquid. And then it's fine. And it goes through this process that later, as the hero of our movie is subjected to this whole thing at the climax, I guess, if this movie actually had a climax, goes through the same process of, I'm out of air. My body is telling me to inhale, but if I inhale, I'm going to inhale liquid, which the entirety of my life has taught me to believe will be fatal. I just saw it be fatal when Lindsay inhales water and dies. We see her go through that. So we have this very fresh demonstration of liquids in lung. Bad. Deadly. And now I'm expected to breathe this 
stuff that's kind of pinkish. I'm actually real, by and, the way. And not have the same reaction. This is the epitome of stupidity. Yeah. And yet, you know, he goes through the same phases of adaptation to this new new technology as the rat did of panic freaking out because oh my god it's actually working and then accepting this new reality and then he goes to oh my gosh this is cool you should try this (laughs) like everyone do this after me if we survive this <laughs> yeah it's 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 this this whole like and i feel like he's being very buddy but like in in some ways i think it's like not just to Lindsay, but like all his crew has to try this oh yeah and, and what i love is the pictures of the crew around him as he's doing this you get the sense that you know and it goes back to the very beginning the movie when you see the crew as a family unit a very deranged family but as a family unit mm-hmm. even though bud is the one in this suit the whole family is going through this in their own way yeah. and again i i enjoyed how that i felt was genuine and, and you know they were all trying to talk him through it especially the navy seal who had experience with this but the whole whole family was you know, parroting what the seal had said, hoping, praying that, dear God, let this guy not be full of shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bud, come out of this a lot. The family needs you. And so that you see the family in their own capacities go through this with Bud as he figures out, I can breathe this liquid. This is weird. But okay, I got a job to do. And I found it really funny that one of the guys goes into the pool Two guys help him into the pool and launch him out. That water is fracking cold. Mm-hmm. That's a frigid, frigid water that saved Lindsay's life. And they're going down in it, one, willingly, two, not in wetsuits, and one guy has the audacity to potentially ruin a Green Bay Packers Letterman leather sleeve jacket. Honestly, take off the jacket. Another moment that just totally broke my delusion. You know, you, you suspend reality to believe in this movie. There is no in hell a Packers fan or any profession, any person who would have that quality of jacket, the leather sleeves, the thick wool body, would go into salt, frigid water wearing that jacket. So it would ruin the leather. It's just to really be so bad for the jacket itself. Why would you do that? You're not a real fan. It broke the illusion for me. Why are you doing that to a beautiful Green Bay jacket? I will say two things on this. First of all, I'm a Bears fan. So, you know, in my opinion, I'm just like, oh, you know, oh, well, you know, it's a Green Bay. He's a Packer fan. My opinions change of him entirely. <laughs> Secondly, I really think that he wasn't really thinking about his jacket at the time. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, he, he definitely had priorities. You know, Bud, his, his brother, his cousin, however their relationship was in the family particularly was, is going to risk his life, potentially never come back for the sake of humanity. Yeah, okay, maybe it's re- it's worth losing a jacket over it. But he wasn't wearing the jacket for the rest of the movie. Why did he put it on? Because he was cold. Maybe he was a Bears fan. <laughs> <laughs> Something to ruin. 
just cause. So Bud goes way down, past where anybody, uh, any living man has ever gone before. <laughs> Call Guinness. <laughs> Call Guinness. I love that, especially since I misread it first. I, I read it as called. Uh, like, Guinness is in the beer, and I was like, why is he calling a beer company? <laughs> Actually, they are one and the same. Really? I believe so. I, I up. could be wrong, but I believe Guinness World Records is the same Guinness, you know, the guy as the beer. That's interesting, that because so the other interpretation is that he's saying, call Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> this is true. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It'd be funny, though. Well, true. Um, I mean, it is if true. I were doing something that no man had done before, I would want Obi Wan Kenobi to know about it. It is true. Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Records, is tied to the famous Guinness Brewery. I did not know this before. This is very cool. Oh yes, oh yes, that's right. Puffwa now educational. We've been educational for quite some time, actually. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's been educational in the terms of, hey, I might get a couple points more on um, trivia night at the, the bar. Um, <laughs> but if it helps you get a free round, I'm all for it. Yeah. People at uh, work have, have commented on my ability to know trivia, and I'm just like, I'm not telling you my secrets to why I know that. <laughs> I learned it on Pufwa. <laughs> I am so glad to be a, um, your your secret source cat. <laughs> Not just you, but also like I mean, you know, you get un, you know twenty or thirty of us together on three different podcasts. We all come from different places, oh, and we sure. all know different types of trivia, and we just like all learn it. It's all cool. Puffa would totally school at any pub trivia night. Oh, totally. We should, we should <laughs> wait. We should do this. We should totally do this somehow. Cat, next time you're up in our neck of the woods, the barbecue restaurant that catered our wedding now has a trivia night on Tuesdays. Ooh. We are totally going. Yes, we are. In fact, I think I'm coming up. I had the cho- choice of taking a day extra in Orlando in August and I really don't want to do that because Orlando in August would kill me if I would yeah, go to yeah. like Disney World or something. I'm from Chicago. I was born in February people. Like I do not do August in Chicago. <laughs> August in Orlando is going to kill me. I don't want to go outside. So I'm not right. going to take the extra day that I would go to Disney World or uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter and I think I'm going to co- go back to Boston and see you people. We would appreciate that. Because it's been a year. <laughs> In our guest room, we have a futon with, uh, you know, a decent futon mattress, mm-hmm. but it's a futon mattress with a um, memory foam pad. It's really comfortable. Awesome. So, for that to you. Awesome. That would be fun. Yeah, just let us know. We'll make it happen. Yeah, I'm being I'm being thrifty on my... Um, days, I don't think, so I get 15 days of vacation time, and we get five days that can be paid out, and five days that can transfer to the next year, and I'm, I'm gonna be going to Guatemala next year with my church, so I wanna, like, my, my days to carry over will probably cover the week that I'll be gone, um, and I have the five days that I've got covered, and I'm thinking, like, I need a week trip. Um, at some point, because I'm kind of, like, it's been a, I've been working, I haven't missed a single day of work 
since I started just after your wedding. So, um, I haven't been sick or so I'm just going a little like twitching. Like I haven't had a day off. I haven't like I had Christmas off and I had New Year's day off. And that was it. I had worked oh. Christmas Eve, I worked the day after Christmas, I worked New Year's Eve, like, I've worked every single day since October 22nd. Wow. Yeah. For the record, for the last three and a half years, my sister has been in South Korea. She is returning home on the 25th of March. We're very excited. Oh, I'm excited uh, for you guys. I met her. She's very, very nice. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> I love her to bits. She's can be a bit of a ditz, but I'm the only one who's allowed to call her that. If anyone else outside of the family calls her that, I get to punch them. Yay. Silence. She's my little sister. And this is the way things work. But Oh, so she's like how I feel about Packer fans. Like the Packer fan or Packers the Packers are the Bears little brother and like no one gets to mess exactly. with them. No one else is allowed to pick on them except for me. Yeah. yeah. That's the I mean Exactly. My sister prior to leaving for South Korea had a PlayStation 3 which reads Blu-ray she leaves for Korea doesn't take the PlayStation with her because who knows if it's even compatible it takes up space and luggage whatever it's mine now (laughs) (laughs) after three and a half years she's completely lost all um, claim on the device and the good thing is she knows this Yes, she knows that if she wants a PlayStation Three when she comes back, she's gonna have to buy another one, or she's gonna have to buy herself a PlayStation Four when it comes out at Christmas. Mm-hmm. However, knowing my sister, there is a very good chance that come this September she'll be overseas again with another job, in which case, um, it'd be mine anyway. Yeah. Um. <laughs> She loves to travel, that sister of yours. Well, what is so hilarious is at that point, both of us were looking for jobs. You know, she was looking for more teaching jobs because that's ultimately what she wanted to do. Um, Mm -hmm. She didn't get her degree in teaching, but um, that's what she wanted to do. I had teaching, a lot of teaching experience in my resume, and so even though that's not the industry I was looking for, you put the resume up on monster.com, it has the keywords, it kept getting hits on on keyword searches, and so I was getting all these hits for education-type positions, and one of the things that popped up was basically a headhunting agency for English as a second language teacher positions in South Korea. And while I had no interest in taking a position like that, I said, hey, Sarah wants to teach. I know I had some friends from college who had done the same thing, gone to South Korea for a year or two and had enjoyed their experience. And, you know, it's, you know, great for the resume. And so I said, hey, Sarah, you should contact these people and forward it on to them. And so the big joke in the family is I, I shipped my little sister off to South Korea. <laughs> you thought Garfield was nefarious for trying to ship Nermal to um, Abu Dhabi. But no, I, I actually got my sister to go to South Korea. And she's been there for three and a half years. <laughs> February 28th. 
today, but with the time zone, it's really confusing, Mm -hmm. was her last day at the school. So she is done working in South Korea. She's going to put her around other parts of the country. She's been mostly in the greater Seoul area because that's where her job's been. But she's sightseeing, doing all the touristy things um, outside of Tool that outside of Seoul. Apparently, there's this island that's supposed to be absolutely amazing and everyone should go to that she um, is currently at. Got a Facebook message that her flight landed and she's on a bus ride to the other side of the island. It's one of those 4.30 in the morning flights, so she's completely, you know, flight groggy. Exactly. But she's safe and sound and going to spend uh, three, four weeks sightseeing. But she'll be home in a little less than a month and home in time for Easter. Nice. Isn't exactly. Easter early this year? Like, it's amazing. <sighs> the, the, yeah, it's definitely earlier this year. We pulled up Handel's Messiah uh, at practice on Thursday. And I was like, what? It can't be this Already? Early. Yeah. I know. I know. We're the same way that all of a sudden you're finally done with the Christmas songs and the Epiphany songs and it's Lent. What the hell? Yeah. We can't sing <laughs> Hallelujah anymore? Like, what's going on? It blows my mind that my church's bell choir, which my mother and I are in, just realized, oh God, it's going to be Easter in a month. Quick, let us start practicing some Easter music. Quick, let us find some Easter music. Mm-hmm. And so we, our coordinator, we don't have a director, we have a coordinator, found a a book of, we're very small, um, found a book of uh, four or five Lint Easter pieces for 18 bells, which is about what we can handle. And we broke it out on Thursday. We're so psyched that it came in in time. And so we were, were realizing we have three rehearsals between now and then to to put this together. It's four weeks, but three rehearsals the mm-hmm. way because a quarter, a quarter to a third of the group is on church council and ah. church council meets once a month on the same day that bell choir would otherwise meet. Ah, okay. <laughs> so on council nights, there's no bell choir, but third of the choir is still going to church yeah it's just instead of setting up the bell tables and all that they go into the church parlor with um their notebooks i don't know okay yeah so bud is in his oh wait, I, have, I have suit. i have a way to bring us back to this thank so you god so we're talking about you know families and siblings and stuff and i i mentioned a little bit of a go before Catherine explained about her how her sister has been in South Korea for a really long time. Um, I mentioned how the we we the Bears fans think that the Packers are the little brother to the Bears, and I'm sure you and Catherine remember remember Dathril. What what am I saying? Who am I? What's my name? (laughs) Dathril. I'm sure you guys remember. At the beginning of the football season, when the high school refs that were, you know, pro for like five <laughs> seconds uh. had that really bad call against the Packers. And the thing that I loved most of all is the fact that the Bears, like, 
exploded. And, like, the bear fan, the, like, everyone was just like, I cannot believe this happened. No one does this to our pack. Like, they, we were immediately on the defense of the Packers and saying, like, the Seahawks should have lost. I'm sorry, but they should have. Like, it, it got, it got very intense very quickly. And at some point, I turned to one of my friends who was as a hardcore a Bears fan as I am, and I went, aren't we supposed to be happy that they lost? And, you know, we kind of laughed about how the fact that, like, we're like their older brother. We get to pick on them. No one else picks on them. Love it. Love it. So, you know, as as a Bears fan looking at, you know, the Packer fan in this movie, as we are putting Bud in the water and he's got the weights on, um, I was reminded of that as well. And so Bud is sinking into the ocean. And um, as my I flawlessly, you know, bring us back to the movie. <laughs> um, as Bud is sinking deep into the ocean, he's breathing liquid oxygen or oxygenated fluid, which helps him breathe because with with air, there's pressure that's very different from the water, and the water will like help sink that. Right. Um, and he can't talk, which I liked that, that he couldn't talk. That was very, very realistic. Because what actually produces speech is the vibration of air in your larynx. And if your larynx is full of liquid, it's not going to vibrate anywhere near the same, and you won't be able to talk in a way that we would recognize. Right. Can you modify the probe signals accounting for density? The temperature and salinity factors. I can try, sir. I think I have it, sir. And this is what it would sound like underwater. Yes, sir. Fascinating. If my suspicion is correct, there can be no response to this message. So he has to use the key part pa- pad. Um, and he's able to, um, he has fair typing skills, um, and he dives two miles down. I think the final count was 85,000 feet or something like that. That's insane. Like, (laughs) agreed. That's nuts. Like, like who dives that far down? But he, um, so he's able to, um, disarm the nukes. As one does. By guessing. Which I kind of liked. I liked he. You kind of you know you're watching and you you realize that he can't tell the difference between the two wires, and he's like you know just like. Well, that bothered me so much. <laughs> well, I mean, Bud is a, a, a you know bar like he's not a bomb expert. He doesn't know. Right, but when you you have two wires, oh, whoa, you don't have them both is- with a strike. Say that again. You have one of them solid and one of them with a stripe on it. So even if you can't tell the colors, you still know which is which because one has the stripe and one doesn't. And yeah, this just it, it bothers me mm-hmm. because when he pointed out while we were watching it, he he almost you know threw a fit while we were on the couch. <laughs> having done all of the home repair that I've done. 
done all the rewiring that I've done, finding all of the code violations. It's just, it, it fundamentally bothers me that they have this wired in such a piss poor fashion. Yes, it's, it's, it, it does not look like a real nuke. Not that I've seen a real nuke, but like it doesn't look like it should be a real nuke. And I'm reminded of Rodney who built one in his garage for his high school science fair. Yes. Um, or Sheldon Cooper, if that's what you prefer. Mm, I prefer um, Rodney, actually. I'd like yeah. to see Rodney go up against Sheldon. That would actually be really interesting. Rodney has more social skills, though. Sad to say, yes. Um, so Who do you think is smarter? Define smarter. <laughs> hmm. Because if we were to take Dr. Sheldon Cooper and put him on Atlantis. You know, in, in, I think IQ-wise, Sheldon is smarter. But I think the rest of the way that uh, Rodney is going to be smarter because Rodney actually, first of all, acknowledges the fact that he's fallible, and second of all, learns from his mistakes. You cut out for a second, so I'm going to pretend you made really good points. I agree with all of that. <laughs> this is going to be really fun to edit at that end. <laughs> so, Bud has disarmed the shoddy nuke. Whoever built this, you know, must have been not so good at making nukes. But, uh... Some axial engineer. Yeah, yeah something great. like that. And so while he's down there, he realizes, or it becomes a... This was a one-way trip. Yeah. And during his whole descent, you have Lindsay on the comm talking to him and Bud using the wrist pad thing, which I am totally impressed that he can type as well with his giant gloved fingers on this tiny tiny little arm band pad and make decent speech without gratuitous typos. That was or without little... using NetSpeak. Yes. Yay, no NetSpeak. I don't think Budden knows NetSpeak though, so. Probably right. not. So, you know, that was kind of weird. You know, and during this whole Bud's descent down, she's trying to keep him lucid and you know together because he's going down to ex- absolutely extreme depths and even though the suit is pressurized with this oxygenated liquid you know he's still kind of fading in and out of rational thought and she has this like breakdown like i love you and she finally blurts it out over this entire movie you know i love you i can't live without you this after her dying and him bringing her back and she's talking to him and talking to him and he's typing back um and finally he's disarmed and we're not gonna start this giant war with russia either russia or with nti's exactly thank you you know they they look at his oxygen levels and realize, you know, even as he's disarming the nuke, that he probably doesn't have enough oxygen to make it back up yeah. to even the level of the, the, the base. Yeah. And after all that they've been through, um, you know, he's not going to make it. And this is absolutely fundamentally unacceptable to Lindsay. And she's having this breakdown. And Which you know, I give the, the actress full, full kudos for, because that was a breakdown. Like, 
Totally. She she played this this freak out breakdown. How dare you betray me and not come back to me, you son of a bitch. She played that so well. There's hair going everywhere. I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, kudos to her. She did a great job. He types back. I only expected this to be a one-way trip. I knew I was coming down here to save humanity, possibly. But most of all, to save you. To save you at the expense of my life, and I love you, wife. Love you, Uh, wife. Oh my gosh, that broke my heart. You know, this coming, you know, granted, Death Roll and I have been married for not even, what? A little over four months. Right, which is a little bizarre. I'm not One of them was a short month. It's okay. Right. February doesn't count as a full month. But, you know, I'm not, I'm still not used to the title of wife. Mm -hmm. And I get the impression that their relationship, whatever it was, is several years old. Yeah. And to use that term seems very bizarre to me that, you know, I, I. when death roll and i use the term husband and wife it's almost in this state of disbelief still kind of and we're still trying to get the the feel of the word under our tongue like i know what the word means and i know that this word accurately describes you but i am completely not fully able to associate this word which technically describes you and associate it with you, even though there's this whole wedding and shit. (laughs) And so, you know, just the fact that he says, I love you, wife, you know, for me had this weird, very weird, surreal type twist to it. Because even growing up, you know, in the relationships between mom and my dad, the term wife was always this... I'm using this term because it's true and it's kind of funny. And so this this term has always been kind of weird to associate the term wife with someone you love truly, madly, deeply. It's kind of this joke. <laughs> it was a callback, actually. It was, kind of, it was definitely a callback. And it was, um, you know, it goes back to the fact that Bud had a blue hand for the rest of the movie. And I loved that. No, it was actually, it was a callback to when she first got on the rig. There was a discussion of how they called her his wife and she didn't, she objected to it. She doesn't like being Mrs. Whatever the name was. And so she objected to it being associated with him. But then, you know, they've been through this huge journey and they've kind of rekindled their love for each other. And he's, you know, saying, I love you and you're my wife. And it's very like it's kind of a heartbreaking moment because it's the only it's the only time in the entire movie that she does not object to being called his wife except for after he comes back but um but to this point it's the only time that she is happily readily able to acknowledge this relationship between the two of them Mm mm-hmm it was very endearing, and the actress did a, a brilliant job of, you know, looking at the screen where the character would see this information and absorbing it and conveying to the audience what that meant to the character. She did an excellent job of, okay, now, after all of this, 
I am able, willing, and gladly accept this title, which was a breakthrough in the relationship, a breakthrough in that character. It was a big deal. I ain't going through all of this just so you can call yourself by my last name, just so you know. (laughs) It's okay, honey. It's okay. And then, so, the NTI, and this is kind of, I loved the fact that this was a plot point to how the NTIs reacted. So, he's about to run out of oxygen, the world is saved, the NTIs take him aboard their ship, meanwhile, they've risen, like, tsunamis on every coast all over the world. Mm-hmm. Using that people. ability to control water. They're pissed. And no one knows why. They're just pissed. So Bud comes aboard the alien spacecraft, and it doesn't look like your average alien spacecraft, which I also appreciate. Um, it's a watercraft. Yes. The alien base. Yes. The city. Um, it looks like a city. It does. Totally. But then, so, um, they're showing him, him, you know, all this, you know, basically all this history of human humanity's destructive behavior and you know they kind of all the an, good yeah you know they they show him all the absolutely valid reasons why they should destroy humanity right now with those tsunami right. tsunami they say you got all this why shouldn't we? And, you know, Bud looks at all the film footage of all the atrocities of the Holocaust and every, you know, all the genocide that has happened on the planet that we've seen glimpses on the news. Apparently, they have satellite and can get it down in print. And they're showing all these absolutely justifiable reasons why humanity should be wiped from the planet. Mm -hmm. And you see Bud down there. He looks at this and says, yes, if this is what you're basing your decision on, I have absolutely no argument to dissuade you from this action. You know, based on what you're showing me, these these clips of genocide. If that saw... On, on some other culture, some other race, I would have the absolute exact reaction. And mm-hmm. you see coming to terms with humanity and humanity's baggage. You see the character resign to the judgment of this other race to the, no, I don't deserve this. Right. <laughs> And I like the fact that the NTIs back up off on their own and Bud is just, like, flabbergasted, like, you had every reason to wipe us out. And they play back the love you wife that um, he sent to Lindsay. And that's kind of, I mean, and I know I've gotten way too deep on way too many occasions, but I'm going to go deep one more time because I can. Um... And I think it's it's kind of the cool part of sci-fi, the part that I really deeply love, that, um, you know, humanity has all these faults, and we have, you know, we're a very faulty and opinionated race, and we come from all sorts of opinions, and we can't agree on anything, and, you know, oftentimes this leads to disagreements and death and destruction and horrible atrocities that 
has not been matched anywhere else in, you know, history. There's no other race that acts like we do. But the thing is that with our power to destroy also comes our power, our power to love and create. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's our saving grace is that we have the power to love and create and we can learn from that. It's a running theme throughout sci-fi. And well, one mean, of the things sci-fi likes to do is show humanity at its worst and at its best. At the same time. This yeah. is so much like at the very end, not the very, very end, but the critical moment of the movie The Fifth Element. And The Fifth Element learns about war, and she's absolutely horrified by the atrocities of war. And when it's her moment to save the universe from absolute eternal darkness you know she's asking why 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 bother you destroy you're you're just as bad as the darkness that i am trying to prevent why bother and bruce willis's character says did you learn about love I don't know love. I don't know love. And it's that same idea that even though humanity repeatedly has demonstrated its capability of abject horror in the way we treat each other, forget anything else, but the way we treat each other, that even despite that, there is still this capacity of love. Again, in the fifth element, it's the concept of love. That fortunately, Dallas was able to show to, show to Lilu at the very last possible mm-hmm. moment. Very dramatically in this, this beautiful, passionate kiss. So kissing again. Do we have to hear the kissing part? We actually will be covering the fifth element, so... Cool, I can't wait. Back to the abyss, the... NTIs. Thank you. Um, despite <laughs> all of this, had seen glimpses of characteristics that made humanity worth redemption. The concept of love. <laughs> that even though it is shrouded by abject atrocities. It's still there, and it's still worth nurturing. Yay! Yeah, it's ha- it's it's the happy feelings that you know, we, we have horrible, horrible, I try to say horrifying and horrible at the same time. We do have a horrible past, and we will have a horrible future, but interconnected with that horror is good, happy, shiny feelings. The ability for self-sacrifice, to be not selfish, to be able to give utterly of ourselves. To learn from our mistakes, to rise above, to, you know, you see it in Stargate, you see it in pretty much every sci-fi movie you will ever see, is humanity is incredible because... We have great potential. We do have great potential. (laughs) We have, you know... You know, there, there, there's a little bit, despite ourselves, worth saving. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is, like, because good is always so much more powerful than bad, that, like, we have all this bad that comes with humanity as a whole, and all this hate and all this judgment, but, you know, we learn from, you know future generations hate a little less and judge a little less and and 
we learn from that. And I think learning and loving and, you know, going hand in hand are like the things that make humanity the best. And that's what sci-fi is all about. That's why Death Roll and Catherine and I love sci-fi the way that we do, because that's what sci-fi looks at. It's not about aliens. It's not about, you know, other planets, really. It's about... Sci-fi has Humans. a way of yeah we get we get to look at ourselves and say we have all this bad but there's also this awesome good yeah we look at ourselves reflected in the mirror and the mirror is looking at other cultures it's pretty convoluted but the whole point of sci-fi is to look at ourselves mm-hmm. and our and accept our faults with our strengths mm-hmm. and help discover what our strengths are. So the aliens back off, and it rises to the, the to the surface, even though there's no, you know, decompression. Well, they comment on that. We should be dead. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I really love the fact that Lindsay, when they're at the surface, all of a sudden, you know, within <laughs> two minutes of being at a mile below, two minutes later at sea level, they should be dead. The nitrogen should have. <laughs> come out of their blood and been air pockets and, and, and death and, and <laughs> if not death then really debilitatingly sick so I love the fact that she commented on that yeah. after all it's her she is the one who initially at the beginning of the movie said being at this depth can cause insanity sickness <laughs> you know rising up would also have other adverse effects on the, the human body and oh my god it didn't happen and so the one part of the alien city ship rising that kind of bothered me is if the city ship was at the bottom of the undersea crevice and rose straight up, how did the drilling pat platform, which was to the side, end up on top? The motion disturbed the crane and pulled the whole rig down on top of the city ship as it was going up. I like it. That's all I got. It works. Okay. So- or it caused a mini earthquake. Okay. Mm-hmm. Things work, but you know, it's just that there's this moment, you know, 30 seconds after it, it comes up and like, oh my God, we're all going to die. What's going on? Wait a minute. We're on this thing and we're at sea level. Um, what's going on? But I, I really appreciated the fact that it comes up, comes to surface. The hurricane that had caused a lot of disruption in the activities of this mission initially are are back in the general vicinity. And because this foreign race has the ability to control water, they snap their fingers or what have you, and the hurricane just evaporates. And suddenly it's calm seas. The fleet is out and about and around. And when the alien city ship comes up, it, it ends up dry docking a it's lot of... It's big! It's really big! <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you see the the research vessel and the, the rest of the naval fleet that was around this mission. Some of it is still at ocean properly but there are you know a a handful of ships that are now resting on this this 
the floor of this 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 city ship and everyone's wondering what's going on Lindsay points out we just rose uh we should have the bends we should be absolutely sick to our, our our death here what's going on and she's absolutely overjoyed that oh my gosh these creatures must have done something and then very triumphantly you see bud emerging from a grand doorway <laughs> something something it of looks the, like a hanger <laughs> Right, and, and, and you know, it looks like the triumphant slow motion walk of any astronaut, helmet in hand, you know, like this badass walk that you see in, like, you see in Armageddon, you see in um, Apollo 13 of the astronauts coming out and doing something triumphantly. And here he is emerging. Top Gun when they're coming back from their mission at the end. Exactly. And, you, you know, he, he's doing the badass hot shit walk out of the alien ship. And finally, 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 they embrace Bud and Lindsay. They embrace. There's the kissing part. The kissing again. Do we have to hear the kissing part? And the movie is allowed to end. And the movie is finally, oh my god. The worst part about this movie. I've said a lot of great things. There is some good acting in it. There is some great revelations. And there is some good plot points. The timing of this movie dragged. It was almost as if it was a good hour movie crammed into four hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's only three hours. Same difference. And it just, there was, you know, I, 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 oh, it epitomized the reason why I really dislike the artsy sci-fi genre, which this would fall into. There was so much nothing in between action points and it seemed like it took an hour and a half to make the point that humanity is worth saving, mostly. Or, oh wait, these characters actually do love each other or something. And it's just, it dragged on and on. And I found myself for the first at least half hour, maybe more. I lost sense of time. I had a really hard time as Deathrill and I were watching it earlier this week to not just sit there and play Sudoku on my phone. Eventually, I put it down after a half hour or hour. As I said, time dilated, just like we were next to a black hole or something. Um, and I put it down because I felt a little guilty, but I was just like, dear God. Hurry up and get to the plot. It's not over yet. Coffee's dead. Is there no over <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, it, it comes down to ultimately, I like the points that that the artsy sci-fi genre try to make. They just take way too long for my admitted short attention span to get to. And I'm like, uh, you know, at this point, couldn't have a nuke gone off? That'd be kind of exciting. That'd be cool. No, no, no nukes. No, we're going to be artsy about it and be all dramatic. Oh. Yeah, the whole point is that the nuke doesn't go off. I know, but they took four hours to get to that point. And it was just, 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 um, 
I can respect what you're saying. Like, I, I, I get why you're saying what you're saying. I do not watch this for the timing. I will agree with you there. I just find that the character development and the writing and the other things are so much... Wor- like, it's it's worth it to have to deal with the crap of the timing. I'm not sure about that, actually. <laughs> it's funny, when the credits finally finally came on and James Cameron was splashed across the screen I'm like uh, I understand why this movie was seven hours long oh god I I, I get oh damn Desra why didn't you warn me <laughs> <laughs> all he said is hey we're gonna podcast on the abyss on Friday this only night this week that you could watch it. Hey, let's do it. It'll be fun. Oh, dear God. You could have warned me. I could have been a bit more intoxicated while we were going through it. I could have brought out my knitting. <laughs> you could have done all of these things. I wasn't stopping you. I know, but, you know, some warning would have... I'd, I don't know. Honestly, I had no idea what I was getting into when Death Roll popped into the DVD into my sister's abandoned, now mine, PS3. You know, you sound the the way I... Like, I would say that this is one of James Cameron's better movies. Not that that's saying a lot, because James Cameron does not direct well. But, <laughs> oh, you should hear me rant about Avatar sometime. After what? Podcast on it. No. <laughs> no? No. I will not no. I will not podcast on Avatar. There's nothing good to say about Avatar. It, it, it'll be a three hour rant about like how much my life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> During this I was so I mean I I have back problems, so I can't sit in a movie theater for very long. Right. I went to the Ho- the Hobbit because I love the Hobbit and by the previews my back was starting to hurt. Oh, honey. <laughs> I'm, like, this is part of my life, but this is why I don't go to movies very often. Like, because sure. it's just, you know, me sitting there going, yeah, my back hurts. Yeah, I can't move because it's not, like, socially correct to, like, shift your weight in the theater. But my family was just like, come, let's, you know, go see this. It looks pretty good. I'm like, at, at the end of the like, that was a waste of my life. Like, seriously, we had to go see that. What is that? Like, that was just, like, I don't even understand. Like, yes, Jake Gyllenhaal is is a very attractive man, but, like, we do not need to watch him. Like, most of the movie, he's a, you know, seven-foot blue thing, so... Right, exactly. So I feel feel a lot better about my, um... (laughs) Anyway... But I, I agree, like, James Cameron spent way too long on this movie. Right. You know, it dragged on too long. Everything else about it is awesome. Right. You know, if he had tweaked the timing somehow while still being able to make the points that the movie ultimately... Oh, he could have cut it down by half an hour easy. Yeah, it would have been been absolutely fantastic. As a unknowing bystander in all of this. You know, I hear a title like The Abyss, and you almost think kind of the, the sci-fi action thriller type. Yeah. This is not a thriller. No, it's not. And I have to say, that quote at the very beginning of the movie, I had to stop my film and, like, laugh out loud because 
it's um let me pull it up because I'm in my notes um whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster and if you gaze long enough into the uh, an abyss the 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 abyss uh, I gotta say that again and if the, you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. And if you have seen Doctor Who in the first season, that's exactly what Rose says. I gaze into the TARDIS, and the TARDIS gazed into me. And I'm just like, <laughs> they totally stole that! <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But I, 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 again, I mean, excellent acting, you know excellent though rather cliched plots mm-hmm. you know very so I was, kind of I was looking on IMDB to yes. see where I recognized the lead actress from she played Maid Marian in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves <laughs> which I had already mentioned tonight so I just thought that was kind of funny cool excellent it's a decent sci-fi plot absolutely great you know sci-fi themes the great themes that you all the the great sci-fi movies that humanity despite all our faults are is actually worth associating with but it just took far too long yeah. to to establish those themes to establish that point to <sighs> I remember, you know, right after James Cameron's name left the screen and and I said, ah, that explains a lot. I I stared at Death Roll and said, you could have warned me! Yeah. But there are a lot of these movies that people will, either because it's really old or because there's one really bad thing of it, will not watch. And I really, we really wanted to cover things like The Abyss because while the timing suck, sucks, the rest of it's awesome. And most people wouldn't consider watching The Abyss because it's by James Cameron. Sure. I will admit that if it had been made known to me that this was a James Cameron film, I would have been a lot more hesitant to blow one of the very few free evenings that I have in a week. Yeah. It's, on watch this film, plowing through a disc or two of uh, Futurama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's playing. It wasn't about watching the movie, it was about spending time together. Aww. <laughs> but I mean, so, so th- that that's kind of like the point of, of us watching these is because. You know, like like Tron from 1982. Like, who watches Tron anymore? Like, let's go back to My our best roots. man. Yes, and yeah. and that makes me very happy. But you know, oh. apart from the hardcore nerds, who watches Tron anymore? Right, right. Who's actually like sat down and watched RoboCop? True. Very true. Very true. No, it, you know, it, if that is the overall theme of this season of Puffwa, you know, it makes great sense. Yeah. And so I'm glad to have been your guinea pig. Oh, yay. <laughs> Apart from the... And, and I just want to make sure, because um, I, I want you to enjoy this movie. Apart from the timing aspect... Did you like this movie? Definitely throughout. Really great moments. Funny moments. You know, heart-wrenching moments. Gripping moments. 
but there, you know, there was so much dead time in between those yeah. those awesome moments that it was it was distracting. But so if the dead time was gone, then you'd love this movie. If the timing and the pacing of the film had been executed better, this would be an awesome movie. Okay, you know, I just wanted to make sure you liked it. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> It was funny that after we finished watching the, the movie, I think Dothril was... Um, I'm sure he thought this evening's podcast was going to go different. He was... He might have expected a five-hour rant mm-hmm. out of... <laughs> but, you know, when you... Like so many things, when you stop, take breath, and really think about what's going on. Another universal truth about humanity. When you stop and analyze what's actually going on, there's a lot of virtuous stuff happening. And it's only through references that that dissuade from, you know, the classic but but tried and true sci-fi theme of ultimately humanity is worth saving. Yeah. It's actually pretty much every movie that I have on this list right. and every movie that I'm reconsidering for the list that's the like main point of the film is like humanity is worth saving <laughs> despite ourselves there, there, there's you know a sliver of light that you know okay that, 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 that's good for the universe let's keep that around yeah and we should try and try and shave off some of that other shit so yeah, I, I'm actually glad we had the, this exchange this evening because if it hadn't been for this the discussion I probably would go to anyone else who asked me about the movie say oh dear god don't bother and now my response would be oh it has some really great moments. You'll just have to forgive the timing. Yeah. That's and that's and that's the thing that I've come to accept, you know, long ago because so the 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 story behind me being introduced to this movie is my father's a big sci-fi nerd and my mom is he? yes. We've I don't know if you've this. ever mentioned that. Yes, I I mention it regularly. Um, my mother, not so much. And this was their date no- night back before the kids were were born. Or actually, my brother was born. I was not yet. Um, so, or maybe I was born. I can't. If, if I I was very. We we were young. My brother was two. I think I was six months old. It was their date night to go out to this movie. And, you know, when you have a six-month-old and two-year-old, you don't go out very often. So my mother was just like, I don't really want to go to this movie. Um, and she, because she thought it was a sci-fi. And through the characters, and I'm getting not so much the pacing, but through the characters and, and the themes and, and the whole thing of it, she really liked this movie. And she was surprised at herself that she liked the movie. And so, when we were old enough to understand all this, they showed us this movie. Mm. And thus, you know, I remember, you know, watching the the pink liquid go up in his helmet and not really understanding what was going on. <laughs> Don't you drown when you're in liquid? Like, what's going on? <laughs> right. <laughs> Little, you know, six-year-old logic. <laughs> but, Yeah. <laughs> is old enough to understand all this um whatever um (laughs) it's just really hard watching old stuff with kids now because they say well why don't they just use their cell phone (laughs) they didn't have them back then (laughs) 
Honey, we're going to have such a problem with the kids. <laughs> no. Hey, as long as you keep them away from technology for the first, you know, ten years of their lives. They're not going to need it. Yeah. And the great thing is, they'll be with Aunt Jess and Uncle Matt, so it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Oh, is there anything else we need to talk about tonight? Not on the subject of this movie, I don't think. All right, then I'm going to stop the recording and plug in because I've got 8% of power left. Okay, well, let's do our good nights and uh, wrap it up. And I would love to continue chatting with you. Yes. I think Catherine might be done. Uh, (laughs) Before you leave, though, I have to send you those pictures. Okay, well, let's everyone say good night. Good night. Buenas noches. Good night. I don't know why we've suddenly become Spanish on this podcast. Por qué me gusto hablar en español? You always sign off in Spanish. Sí, señor. <laughs>